Hello and welcome everyone to the 87th episode of Everyday Eternal, which we just verified by googling our own podcast on Spotify. We are very proud of our level of professionalism we here. on Spotify. Yeah, okay. We are That's technologically uh, capable human beings, I believe. I wouldn't even be surprised if Googling something was actually part of the German dictionary by now. We, we add a lot of English words to it over the years. Mm, okay. So Googling something <laughs> just means searching something up. Yeah. Yeah, or tutoring if you're a magic player. Ah. I've actually used that with people and then yeah, I immediately realized that they had no idea what I was talking about. And I was like, yeah, you shouldn't. You're so stupid. Nobody <sighs> uses tutor for looking for something. I, I make so many things in real life into magic phrasing though. Like... I don't know, sometimes if I don't have enough food, I think oh, I'm a bit mana screwed or food screwed or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it gets in your head, man. It's terrible, but it's funny as well. And you catch yourself out and you're like, what the F am I talking about? That, that doesn't happen to you that often that you don't have enough food. No, not, not I, I mean, I'm laughing about that now, but yeah, there's yeah. people who are actually experiencing that, so maybe I shouldn't no, be laughing. No, but, but there's, there's I don't, not the best example, but like there's other things where something in magic, you know, happens. Where you, when you have like, too much beer means you have too many cards in hand you have to discard the hand size because you can't drink all anyway we are we are on episode 87 as we confirmed by looking on spotify just now and before we go into the show by the way i this time i really want to thank our two new patreons we've had so so many new patreons over the last couple of weeks and months and uh, this time francis Chay Setesh, I really hope I didn't butcher your nickname. I've actually gotten messages from other Patreons who corrected me on their name pronunciation of the name. So if you ever spot me mispronouncing your name, hit me up on Discord, Twitter, anywhere, and, and I'll correct that. <laughs> and the second one, Testacular, a uh, very well-known Fs player who also streams a lot of Valorant. I actually, I was on the stream when he, I think, top two or even won a challenge. Like, he, he went really deep into a challenge. And then, then we talked a little bit about Valorant. Is, is, are there actually uh, other online games that you play? Not really. I, it's weird. I've, I'm not a gamer, really. I've basically never played online games. And Magic is just a kind of a fluke. I got into it when I was camping, when I was like 10 <laughs> years old from some boys that were also at the camping, web, uh, camping place. So yeah, I don't really play that many other games. I've just got hopelessly addicted to this one. Yeah, uh, you've never recovered? Yeah, never. I, I did take a break for like five or six years when I discovered music and going out and partying and stuff <laughs> and so now i try and do it all but um yeah not not as cool but you play a lot of games don't you um well i well, this is probably like an episode of its own but uh, yeah I, I even have a thing on my website which is down right now but should be up in a couple of days again or like tomorrow uh, about my competitive history like i actually started out when it comes to like competitive online gaming as, as somebody like playing starcraft and quake and actually a lot of quake and i was like in a, in a like in a clan we said back then not like a team and before we said team, we even called it like a squad and everything. But yeah, that, that's that. And then I was hopelessly deep into, into Counter-Strike for, I want to say between 2000 and 2004, when I basically quit it almost cold turkey, like in the middle of a tournament. That's That was actually, dude. Uh, that, that was... We, can, we can do a, a, a other games podcast sometime. <laughs> Counter-Strike is the one that I've heard loads of people talk about all the time. Like I think everyone that plays any kind of uh, online games, especially shooting ones, they played Counter-Strike back in the day, right? That's what I've Yeah, Counter-Strike and Quake, that, 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 yeah. that was like the big, how do you say that, schism? schism? Like, <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> Story of my life. No, um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I was kind of like in a weird position that I played both, but Counter-Strike, that was really something, um, like that was probably like the most troublesome time in my life, privately, and I think I just like was able to zoom out and exchange a lot of issues I had in life with like just playing Counter-Strike online with my friends and that, that was like a really big thing 
And I guess as, as life got better, Counter-Strike got less important. And That's cool. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was still like a, um, an experience I really wouldn't want to miss. Um, the, I've played with basically the same people online for four years, even though they live, lived on the other end of Germany, most of them. And like a couple of years ago, I attended one of their one of their weddings, and I saw another guy again. It's like I've I've kept in close contact with that's at cool. least one of those guys, and that's really really that's honestly that that's like one of the best friendships of my life. And I've did you meet them all <laughs> through known, playing games? Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah, I, I nice. submitted um, an application to the clan, and like I listed my favorite burger, my favorite color, like all <laughs> kinds of useless stuff that doesn't matter at all. And then I was accepted into. What was the first clan called? Soldiers of the Future. It's like, oh, you better, you better remember what I'm telling them. They'll never play with you again. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's that's how I got into Magic, which is nothing. Uh, no, into, into <laughs> Counter Strike. <laughs> um, what have you been up to lately, man? Um, you, you played in Eternal Weekend, right? Is, is yeah. That... So we'll we'll dive into Eternal Weekend heavily in a minute because that's our main topic for this episode. Because um, we did we did another episode like within the last week. So since then, I've really the only interesting thing I've done is play Eternal Weekend. Um, I'll give a quick rundown because it's very, very short and not very sweet. I played in Tombsday, which we'll touch on as well because we got we can talk about that later. It's the like Tinfin's main deck and a Doomsday sideboard thing. I didn't have time to practice with too many other decks. I played a couple of leagues with other things, and then I know Tinfin's pretty well from the past. And Doomsday, I'm not very good at, but I was like, yeah, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> spoiler: worst bad things do happen. And um, I started off like. 2-0, then 3-0 or 3-1 and then stuff. And then I made a couple of mistakes and I think I think a good player can play this this deck to like a pretty good finish. It's really powerful, doing powerful things and I just made some mistakes. So I ended 4-3 and then dropped because I wanted to watch all the streams. I, I had like, I've got two monitors and in each monitor I had uh, multiple streams going in each <laughs> one as well. I was just following everything. It was, it was awesome. That's actually well, kind of crazy. Like to me, I've also I've been trying to to watch the streams, but also doing a lot of work for yeah. for coverage. Like as most of you probably know, Wizards um, are, are cooperating with Anorak and me to uh, to basically bring you uh, after the fact coverage of Eternal Weekend. So we are right now working on a lot of videos. I'm like as we speak right now, Anorak is recording commentary with two of our guest commentators. And all of that, sh I would expect like it's up eventually up to Wizards, but I would expect it to be out next week, like early next week. And then you will actually be able to watch four matches per tournament. So altogether, like 12 legacy matches with uh, expert commentary and me. <laughs> <laughs> For some, at least. You've asked me as well. So it's not all expert, you know, we're, we're on the same level here. Yeah, but we, we decided to up our, our standards after uh, I asked okay. you. Nice. Okay. That makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> this weekend and... It still feels like the weekend because I've basically been swamped with work for that. Uh, I felt like I could use something like, I don't know, seven screens. I don't even know if my computer would support yeah. that. But I basically need to to live in a room that's entirely made of computer screens, like in those bad hacker movies from the 90s where they go, hack this one, hack that one. No, this is it. <laughs> Too much hacking. Yeah. Like the last couple, like the last three, four hours have actually been my first actually really proper free time ever since, I want to say, Friday, Saturday. Like, I, I said in our, in our Discord that after all of this is over, I felt like I gotta take, like, some day, days off. Mm -hmm. But then I realized I'm already doing the, this on my days off. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is my free time anyway. <laughs> it seems so busy because we were planning to record the last two days, but you were just completely overrun with it. Was it more work than you expected, but it's going to be worth it kind of thing? Um, let's say there were some structural issues like okay. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll uh, find yeah. out down I, the line 
yeah we, we we so what we're actually doing but which is great i think um we are including hands for one player for every single match which initially was not on the table like the initial concept that we were supposed to do is commentary over replays without hands from any any player but we figured okay we really want to provide some some better quality than that um you can do that and that's like how people used to do it uh I remember it like 10 years ago, um, you know, with like Rashad Miller uh, at Chichi's Live and like the early, the early SEGs, they, they did that where you couldn't see the hands because that's mm-hmm. just like the gameplay. And you can do that, but if you put in the extra work, you can also do it with like everybody in the community. And by the way, at this point, I really, really, really want to thank everybody who's been recording hands with me. Um, I think I recorded, yeah, it must be, must be 12 or something, uh, hands with people our discord from all over the world whether it's like brazil asia europe the us canada everywhere Seriously. that's amazing so cool yeah and now we've put it all together and we're commentating on it and so so expect it nice. early next week and that's going to be something i think this is my like preferred setup honestly i i think i'd even prefer no hands to both hands I, something with both hands doesn't click with me because you feel like it's like just subconsciously you have both players hands in your head then you like think oh my god why are they making this play and then you yeah. tell yourself oh it's because they don't know they have that in their hand but you need to like tell yourself these things when you have no hands you're you're way more invested in the game you're watching you're like you know trying to work out what both players have but with one it's amazing because you're trying to you, you can look at one if you want the easy watching side i guess is one way to put it or you can try and like guess what the other player is doing based on what could be in their hand and you're also like in the seat of the player we're watching because you you know your hand but you're trying to work out what the opponent has so i'm really really excited to see it like this this is my favorite yeah yeah i'm i'm really excited that we made that decision even though it meant to be basically a lot more work but it's it's definitely going to be worth it and then next week we're going to do the same for vintage again even though i think we're just going to do three matches per per main event which main event did you play by the way i played the first one which was caracas i believe uh, yeah. Ah, yeah. The battle which, for the capital of Venezuela. Yeah. Was it? Which day did it start? That started on Friday. Yeah, it started on Friday. Vintage is gonna start on Saturday. Yeah. Okay. They're actually gonna have two, like two vintage on the same day, and then another vintage on the next day. I wonder whether that's gonna have any kind of influence on participants, because even for the for the first two legacy events, there was some overlap. Like if you made top eight, like JPA then you couldn't really reasonably play yeah. the second one. Uh, he was actually quite yeah, sad about that because he lost in the quarterfinals to probably the best legacy player on the entire planet uh, right now, Daniel Götzschel Ducat, also known yeah. as the, the guy who won GP in Niagara Falls, co-host on Elo Panthers. He's all right, so, I guess. Yeah, yeah he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> he just wins everything, you know. Yeah. I, I was trying to egg him on to do one of his uh, classic Reddit posts after this but I, I think he'll save it for the podcast yeah i i would think so <laughs> <laughs> yeah but regarding regarding the crossover i don't think they were planned to be play, like for everyone to play them all that is playing for like potentially almost 20 hours straight if you play both of those ones in a row and then if you play the third one that's like that's crazy i mean i guess jpa does really like playing legacy but um that is a lot of legacy in a row yeah <laughs> especially if you top eight so many of them but yeah yeah, yeah that 
but yeah, the payout was quite top heavy, heavy if you think about it, right? So if you, if you go in the quarterfinals, you win something. But if you go to the finals, so maybe let's quickly talk about what you can actually win because I think the the general structure was somewhat like a like a better challenge with regards to prizes. But then if you get first place, you actually get this original. Um, actual painting so it's not like an oversized card you actually in the past at, at the paper events you also got oversized cards on top but here you for all i know you only get the the painting but the painting is the big deal yeah and if you opt to sell those paintings in the past they would usually fetch something around close to ten thousand dollars and from what i hear a lot of people actually didn't know that even the ones who won <laughs> yeah well i think they still do so it's a huge prize like i don't know for this tournament it feels I mean, it's a great celebration of what Legacy is and stuff. Um, it, I wish the prizes were a bit better or Magic Online introduced like scaling prizes a bit more. Maybe this is another topic as well properly, but the prizes really were win or get to the final and split with the opponent as one set of finalists did. Otherwise, even coming second, it's, I guess, a few hundred dollars worth. But um, yeah, the painting is like around 10k. I know the second um, flight for the Richard and Port one, someone offered a five-figure sum. He, he just said oh, yeah, fi- yeah, yeah. five-figure five sum, like, and then maybe more. So pe- people really want these things. Yeah, they're, they're such a big part of Magic history. I, I was actually looking at them on, on Magic Libraries or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that is a website that has like all of the previous winners that we're going to link in the show notes so you can actually see all the winners and their, cool. the, the cards that they won. That's, that's really cool. And I actually didn't know that, especially for Vintage, that actually goes back all the way to 2003. I think it was called GenCon Championships and eventually evolved into, into Eternal Weekend in 2011 when they introduced Legacy as well. Oh, I, did, so I didn't know it was that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah. 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 Shall we jump into... So yeah, sure. um, as, as to just to finish off there. So yeah, huge amount of money to be won for first place. Uh, dropped off pretty steeply, but... These these paintings are pretty very prestigious, and people will remember your name when you win one as well. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah, your so, mystery books forever. Yeah, and so not like us mere mortals who, who could barely <laughs> make top eight. Like I think yeah. we made top eight in the same year, right? We did, we did in two thousand and seventeen because it got like posted in a chat recently. That's yeah. true. Yeah, um, yeah. So as we said, we we had three flights. The first one was winning the Caracas painting. The second one was winning the Richard and Port painting, and the third one was winning a Mazevith painting. So our plan now is that we're going to go over the top 16 and each deck and um, give it a rundown. And then after we've done that, we'll talk about each one as we go along as well. And at the end of that, we'll um, do a bigger picture. We'll take a step back and think of which decks did the best, which decks underperformed, um, any things we can infer from that, fair decks doing well, combo decks doing well, all this kind of good stuff. Yeah, so we basically were able to get the data for all, everybody who finished A2 and better and combined them into a single meta game just to see which decks were like the, the surprise standouts or like whether any deck disappointed. Yeah. So that, that's what, what they're going to do in the second half of the show. There's some great, great stuff to glean from it as well. So yeah, jumping straight in, we are going to go to technically first place, but um, we'll talk to them about them together. So this is the first Caracas event, the finalists split a painting. So we can make all these kind of jokes about how's this but the painting? Do you get the bottom half? Do you get the top half? Left or right? If you, Isn't that like this biblical, biblical story of, of King Solomon or something who, who was going to like split the baby? Is, is that how it works here? <laughs> I don't remember that one. <laughs> You're probably right. If you had a painting, would you prefer to have top, bottom, left or right part? Um, I think I would prefer to have top. I don't know why, but I think that's more probably iconic that's the best because you get more of the artwork. Okay, cool. So... um. 
Anyway, first place we had Green PM33, who is Patrick Green, who actually won Eternal Weekend in the US in 2018. He was playing Miracles then, and this time he was playing Four Color Snow, so they're continuating, like, I guess, premier control deck of the format. Um, it was pretty stock, so Four Color, no red, and um, he had a sideboard Felidar Retreat, which is a card we've talked about recently a bit. The uh, funny hallucinogenicish art with, like, cats and stuff. <laughs> I might have heard about that card. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, but moving quickly onwards. <laughs> not that I have any personal attachments to it. Um, pretty, pretty standard. Uh, Snow was. We'll get to the um, whole breakdown later, as we'd mentioned. But Snow really, really, really performed this weekend. It put plays into the top eights of each event, I believe, uh, multiples and like a lot of good eight-two finishes as well. So, not surprising to see it win. Second place, we had Daniel Guldukat, as we uh, just mentioned before. He was playing Rug Delver. Um, he had two main deck Uros, which is pretty unusual. Like, I've seen it a couple of times from other players before, and it never really caught on. So, I don't know. I guess it is a trump for the mirror, do you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, it also works really well with Seven Library. And when, when actually, when I recorded with Daniel, he mentioned several times how much he actually really, really, really likes Seven Library. Mm-hmm. And the life gain is, is really a thing that it helps with that. Also, it's crazy how grindy those Rock Diver decks have become. If you guys are going to watch the, the quarterfinals between uh, JPA and Daniel, which, like I said, is going to come out next week on the Wizards website. Uh, spoiler alert, I think both players combined cast Uro close to, I want to say, 12 or 13 times in a single <laughs> game. And it comes down, like, it almost comes down to decking and Daniel goes down to like 12 minutes in the first game. Can you imagine that? Like then you're yeah, going, yeah. <laughs> he's not exactly known to be the fastest player. No, but... no. But I, I can see the match yeah. just going on that long. But my next point was going to be that, that these Euros just really cements that Rugdelver is a uh, mid-range deck. There's just nothing tempo or aggro about it anymore, really, apart from the Delvers against combo, I guess. But yeah, it's just it's it's a mid-range deck with Euros and Sylvan Libraries and everything. Yeah, pretty much, right? Yeah. So um, third place, we have Hey Cutie, who is Tarek Patel. People will know him as uh, putting a bug hogak on the lit on the the list the map uh when he top eight in scg then a then a legacy gp back-to-back weekends he the, there's nothing outstanding about the list because he basically made the list originally so i he's just thought it's great i'm gonna carry on with it being great so we've all taken it as stock is the og hogak yeah i mean people were playing it before i i was playing like uh black red versions as well and stuff people were testing it out but he I believe was the first one to add Hedron Crab to this version, which I now swear is the best card in the deck. So it's obviously very smart. It's it's, it's easily the card I fear the most. It's yeah. by far the card I fear the most off the deck. It allows for so many explosive crazy starts. Totally, it's 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 even weirdly like the best card against hate against that later down the void because the card that catches you up after you've spent resources to kill stuff. So yeah. it's just it's just the best, and it's a crab. So yeah. <laughs> Fourth place, we have the other kind of breakout deck of the weekend. We'll. Again, like get into into a bit more after we've gone through all the lists, but Death and Taxes is back. What do you think of that? I, honestly, I'm super excited because I mean we were already somewhat teasing that Death and Taxes might not not be as bad as basically everybody has been saying, including yeah. us for the entire year. And I mean we we go about why why it has recovered, but to me the kind of magic Death and Taxes plays is by far the most enjoyable, awesome. Like I like it when Death and Taxes is basically the baseline for the format. It's like this is what we do, and then we can adjust. Like then we can play combo, then we can play this, but this is always gonna be decent. And when that's the case, I think the format is in a good place. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is a, a kind of fairly common saying. People say, um, if DNT is good, then the format is in a healthy place, which I don't know if I like swear by or anything, but it's a nice parameter to set because DNT is, at the end of the day, playing pretty fair magic. So, yeah, very cool to see that. Uh, fifth place, we had JPA, as we were talking about before. He was on five color snow. Uh, no standouts to me. It was uh, your stock removal, cantrips, okos, uros, and everything. Uh, sixth place, we have another snow deck from Matthew B3. Uh, this time five color. So when we say, unless we like um, explicitly say four color is probably going to be without Pyroblast, and then five color will be with Pyroblast in the sideboard. Yeah, that that's how I, I would consider it as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so standouts, he had three Dead of Winter. So. I mean, two is pretty stock. Sometimes people play one. But this signals to me that like, Death and Taxes and Elves are on their radar. So Look at it's... this. Three Dead of Winter in the main and yeah. two playing a genie in the sideboard. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> and two Containment Priest. Oh, my God. <laughs> Your head is always on Elves, isn't it? Of course. But to me, this this uh, seems very, like, tuned in. Like, Elves is very good right now. And Death and Taxes was starting to do well in leagues, so... Nice call. And there's a cyb- there's a cyborg Hercules recall which I've never seen before in this deck. Okay, uh, what is this actually doing for him? I'm actually uh, trying to figure it out. Yeah, now. same. I'm not quite sure. Maybe they expected like uh, Moonstompy or. But even then, Moonstompy like no. it only like bounces like doesn't even bounce all that much that you really care about. And you have three abrupt decays in the main. Oh, you know what it does? Target yourself. Bounce three or four astrolabes. And you bounce your food at astrolabe. Oh, like as a card <laughs> advantage engine. I don't know. <laughs> the just... engine is probably push- you, you know what act- what's actually hilarious if you uh, what you can do with Herky's recall? If oh. you're up against a Karn deck and they go for Mikas and Lattice and you like yeah. float to blue and then the lettuce comes down and then you bounce their entire board. Boom. <laughs> I mean <laughs> I want this to be the case. I'm I'm struggling to see it, honestly. But um yeah. I mean I've, yeah, never seen it before, so interesting. <laughs> Seventh place, we have another deck we haven't seen for a while is Eldrazi Aggro, played by Blade 400. Um, I just, like, I guess Uro just, and Oko just feels like they've just made this deck dead for a while. Uh, this deck has main deck Khan, the Great Creators as well, which I haven't seen really before in Eldrazi Stumpy, which is, is just a great card, isn't it? So I guess when you're playing Soul Lands, I don't know, it makes me wonder why people didn't play it more before. It's mm. it's not great versus Delver, I guess is a good reason. It's interesting. Like you know what I find interesting here? Um like I, I, I kinda like that this is just like another of those four drops that's really good. What's a bit weird is um it doesn't really work with Eye of Ugin, right? Does it? And no. I'm opening Eye here. No, it doesn't Eye of Ugin doesn't do anything for it. No. Um so it's not it I, I was wondering whether it's like another thought not seer, like a, an openings where you have four mana on the second turn, but really, you actually you don't have for mana for Karn all that often because yeah, Eldrazi Temple Austin doesn't really work for it. Yeah, so you just have six land, soul lands to put it out. So yeah, I'm 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 a bit skeptical of this in like a Delver heavy meta game, but with a lot of snow or like death and taxes or artifact based decks, it's insane against like uh, other combo decks as well. So it's interesting yeah. that they have a one of Grim Monolith in the sideboard. You know what I think that is? That kind of feels like the thing when, when those decks in the past, they used to basically Karn for LED and then on the next turn get letters. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't want to discard their hand, which no one really wants to discard their hand. <laughs> well, I, I know some dredge people who would like play pay a lot of mana for that. Oh, Karn and dredge? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving I mean, You remember <laughs> Moving when on. we played Karn and Oko and basically every deck in Legacy? 
Yeah, I mean, Oko is in Dredge Just for now. fun and was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oko Dredge. Cool. Uh, eighth place, we have another DNT list. Um, again, looks pretty stock. I feel like we should give credit to um, XJ Cloud, who put up a really big uh, cyborg guide and a list basically before Eternal Weekend saying, if you want to play Eternal Weekend, this is the list I recommend. Here's how I sideboard, blah, blah, blah. Uh, great, great resource for anyone who's playing the deck. And I went through every single DNT list that placed in the top 16s, and they all kind of look stock to me. And um, that's because I think a big part he put this out and it kind of solidified what a stock DNT list is. So um, although we're saying nothing stands out, it's it's still exciting to see the deck do well. The main change from, I guess, recent DNT lists is the adaption of Spirit of the Labyrinth. They all have two, some have three in. And this is just amazing against elves doing well again. Like this card gives you real game against elves, which is historically your maybe the most lopsided matchup in the whole format. Probably. Then um, yeah, it's also amazing against snow, turning off like Astrolabes, um, Uro, Ice Fang Quattles when they main phase them and stuff. It's just, there's a lot of cards that are drawing cards, so Spirit makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I like it quite a lot. Um, I know that uh, several of the people who either top aided or even won credited XJ um, as, as the source of their decklist and, and their cyber guide and everything. And I think he even played three Spirit of the Labyrinth in, in his Eternal Weekend. Ah, uh, did so. he? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he upgraded. He also played two Armageddons in the sideboard as another yeah. way to, to fight Snow, which is something I've tried in Elves before. And I think it's the general idea that you play some kind of hate piece that like cannot eventually be removed and then it's, it, its effect is over, but Armageddon is permanent. Armageddon yeah. is, is here to stay. I, so watching, I don't know if it's here to stay as a card, but uh, the effect is permanent. I was watching a stream and he said they didn't do very much so far. Oh, okay. But um, he still liked it in theory, so I think people need to play with it more to see how it goes. They basically said uh, leaving snow with one land is bad and if they have no lands Oko doesn't really do that much because you can attack it down because you're just going to have a bigger board than them. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's our top eight for the first one. So we'll go into the top 16 now. It's really important to think because this was these were such big events and there were so many players, the difference between top 16 and top eight is very, very minimal. So it really came down to breakers. So anyone in the top 16 is mostly going to have the same record as the bottom people get into top eight so when we're looking at the whole picture it's really important to think of all these as like great results as well so um ninth place we have mr dr prof patrick that's quite a name uh playing rug delver pretty pretty stock rug delver we'll probably see a lot of this 10th place we have victor 2 with a a new take on urine uh urine strifo pile i put like quotes because strifo pile but it's quite different colors as well it's like uh, blue red white based and this maniac is playing three Nahiri Harbinger and an Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. I had to do like a double take when I was going through the list. I was like, okay, Rug Delver, nothing too interesting. D&T, this, that. What on earth am I looking at here? 10th place <laughs> in this 400, almost 500 person event. Holy shit. Uh, what do you think of this? Okay, this is this is absolute madness. This is basically <laughs> legacy super French. This guy has yeah. eleven. Pla- this guy has more planeswalker than creatures. It's <laughs> 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 eleven planeswalkers. So Victor has four Dark Fadens. Uh, Chase will be happy about that. One Jace the Mind Sculptor. So three Nahiri's, one Narset, and two Teferi Time Revelers. You know, maybe he's trying to tell some story. Maybe this is like a like a flavor deck. It's like, oh, we, we have like Deck Faden walk into a bar and there's his friend Chase. <laughs> and they try to hit on Nahiri, but Nahiri is angry and she brings her Paul. Emra cool. I don't know. I mean, people <laughs> build decks like that, but not usually on Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> not for a total weekend. Um, 
otherwise it's it's pretty cool this pretty cool idea like if you're expecting loads of snow and Nehri does exile creatures so it can exile Uro if it's attacked um they have four punishing fire with four groves in this deck as well so uh using Nehiri and Dakfane to, to discard and loot and stuff and churn through your deck find the cards you need and here you can also discard your own Uros to then cast from the graveyard I kind of like it it's it doesn't get abrupt decayed it doesn't get pyroblasted it's pretty cool is there anything else you can do with Nahiri other than get a Miracle? I guess you can put, well, okay, you can put Astrolabe into play, hey. <laughs> yeah, true. Or you can Uro. Yeah, that's the... Or oh, I just noticed it's also a Yorian deck. Oh, that's yes, why there yes. are so many Planeswalkers. Okay, now, now yeah, it makes yeah. a lot more sense. Yeah, okay. So if you're playing an 80 card deck, then you'll... Yeah, okay, okay. It's still quite it. a lot. That's true. What, what's interesting is they are playing green for Uro and Ice Fang, but there's no Okos. Yeah, Oko not good enough. Nahiri, yeah. new tier one. Yeah, I heard it here. Cool. So that's the, that's our first like really crazy out there deck, which is pretty sweet. Um, it is like as I said, mostly blue, white, red, just splashing green for Ice Fang and Uro, as far as I can see. Yeah, yeah. On carpet flowers on the sideboard. It's okay. actually kind of crazy that the only mass remover spell in the entire eighty is like a single engineered explosives. There's a verdict in the sideboard as well, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, in the main I guess punching you... fire is kind of like a mess remover spell if, if you yeah. got enough time. <laughs> and you yeah, yeah. And then Uro just kind of gets boards under control. Okay, moving on, we have eleventh uh, place. We have Slasher twenty one. So this is a f another five color snow deck. Um, so four color splashing pyroblast basically, but it has a very 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 interesting card in the sideboard, which again took me by surprise. It's Garrick Primal Hunter. So Julian, without looking this up, can you tell me which one this is? Yeah, it's the five mana one. Um, it has triple green in the mana cost. I can't tell you the starting loyalty, but I know oh. that it ticks up to make beasts. Yeah. It doesn't tick down because the, the other ones, they usually tick down to make beasts. This one is more powerful. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure um, you can... What, what Do we have an, an effect for that name? Like when you oh. draw cards equal to the uh, greatest power among creatures you have? Um, that, that's what it does in minus one. Yeah, minus three. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's, there is a card that does it. I can't remember its name. It's, it's a, maybe you should have said it. You know, like we have threaten effects and yeah, stuff. And everybody yeah, yeah. knows what that is. That, that that's like the maybe it's the primal hunter effect. But no. <gasps> what is the card? And, it's from like even title or something. I can't remember though. Yeah. And the ultimate is probably one of my favorite ultimates in the game because <laughs> you, you. Once again, I don't know what the minus is. It's probably like minus five or six, depending on like what star set. Uh -huh. And six. it makes yeah, it makes a oh six okay. It makes a warm for each land that you control, and I think yeah. that's just like so so cool because there's <laughs> nothing to do with what Garok is about. It's just like yeah, there be worms. Here's a fucking load of worms. <laughs> Deal with it. So yeah, you, you know why I know all of this? Go on. A friend of mine um, does has a lot of the ring altars on basically almost all of his cards, uh, at least oh. all of the big ones. And he has Legolas altered on Garok Primal Hunter, which to me makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, <laughs> that one. Like, Shouldn't that <laughs> be favorite a... part in Lord of the Rings is, is like when Legolas summons the worms and everything. It's like, yeah, that's the one. Like, what? Yeah, <laughs> I would have guessed Boromir or Aragorn is Garok. Probably Boromir. Yeah, that would be much more spot on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Garrick in uh, snow. Otherwise, it's a. It had a uh, two ground seals in the sideboard as well, which is not usual. But other than that, standard. And then there's just a Garrick, there, which is sweet. <laughs> I guess it's going off the same idea as Nahiri, where it's can't be abruptly decayed and can't be pyroblasted, and it's like a one up, like three threes trade with Oko three threes and stuff. And yeah, just... I think if 
there's like this this race to the top that's going on in Legacy where everybody's trying to one up each other. Mm -hmm. Then that's that's the natural progression, right? That now we start yeah. putting like five mana planeswalkers into a sideboard. Maybe we're soon gonna have them in the main deck. And I think that that's kind of cool because then then you get decks like that in Texas that take advantage of you being so greedy. Oh yeah. And yeah, so natural progression. What do you think about the ground seals? You already mentioned them. But what what's the general idea? What are we doing with the ground seals? Uh, I think they're for oops or spells. I guess. As I think they have another great use. I think you you want them against Stradivarius, right? Ah, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and it stops like Delver from surgicaling your Uros as well. Yeah, seems nice. So I guess you yeah, bring really them like against Delver. Yeah, because it, it just cantrips as well, so it's not a huge cost to just play it out. Yeah, nice. I like it. Um, okay, in 12th place, we have Poob Master. Great name. Playing uh, Rug Delver. Uh, nothing stood out to me here. Uh, 13th place, we had Diego Nunes on four-color control. Snow. Standouts. Do you want to take this away? Um, maybe, maybe actually, we want to mention what what's standard about this deck because this deck is wild. Like the the first yeah. thing that jumps to mind is so um, retrofitter foundry. That's a card that we have really only seen in the in the ninja deck, right? That's yeah. the one where you basically you sacrifice a top tier, you get a four four colors construct creature token. Um, okay, let, let's actually go about everything that it does because not everybody might yeah. be familiar with it. It's a one mana artifact, three mana untap retrofitter foundry. Two mana and tap, create a 1-1 one, one colorless sorrow artifact creature token. One mana and tap, sacrifice a sorrow. So, for example, the one you just created. Create a 1-1 one, one colorless Thopta artifact creature token with flying. And then, like I said, uh, for free, you can just like tap it and sacrifice a Thopta. And then you get a 4-4 four, four colorless construct artifact creature token. Okay, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with this. Actually, I'm looking at, at any kind of synergies. I don't see any synergies. It's just a really good mana sync. Again, for mirrors, I don't like that it gets okoed if it becomes a real threat, but um, it can pump out. So it's basically a one mana thing, and then for five mana, you can make a one one. Uh, then you can make them bigger or fly and stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm skeptical because it doesn't really race oko. I mean, you could block oko forever, but they keep drawing cards, and then it kind of, as I said, gets okoed if it's a threat. If it doesn't, oko starts attacking you. But um, hey, they place well, so it's kind of cool. So let's say you get into a late game. You, you have five mana. You tap it for two. You create the color of servo. Mm -hmm. Then you untap it. Okay, let's say you let's say you have six mana. It's not too crazy. So for six mana, you can basically create a one-one colorless Thopter artifact creature with flying. No, it's nine mana because you need to untap it again. You need to Wait, like you untap. You need to pay two to make it a one-one. Three to untap it, and then you need to pay three again to untap it, and then one to make a one-one flying. Man, I'm missing something. So it comes into play. Yeah. And then you, you pay two. Yeah. You make a one one. Then you untap it. That's five mana yeah, spent. Oh, yeah. No, no, I'm going crazy. Nope. Yeah. I'm going crazy. Cool. <laughs> yes. You I, just I untap mean, it once. I mean, it would yeah. be three more if you also want to make it like the four four color thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That would be it. Um, I'm, I'm just, I, I want to see something else on it, but I can't. I, first of I thought maybe it, un, it like sacrifices an artifact so you can eventually cycle your astrotypes, but it does. Actually, what if you turn your astro? No, they become elks. There's no. Mm -hmm. Man, I want this. I want it's, to figure this out so badly, but I think it's like you said, it's just an endgame mana sink. Yeah, so I'm surprised to see three. I kind of like the idea of one or two. Um, Do you really? <laughs> well, it's. They, cool. I don't want to trash talk this. Apparently, it's, like this person did really well with it. Yeah, they did well, very well. Uh, I guess they went eight two, and the card was like way better in ninjas than everyone gave it credit for, including myself. 
And so I know that there's like a lot of synergy in ninjas where you can like sack on orthopters and changing outcasts and stuff. But um, I don't know, it might surprise us. It's I'd like to see an action. Uh, I might try and give it like a try for one or two of them. The thing is, these decks have so much, so many cards like late game great engines they have access to, like Shark Typhoon as well. as another card that's not in this list, but again, a great mana sink. So um, yeah, skeptical, but cool is my my verdict. <laughs> they all had, saw had a uh, main deck Felidar Retreat, which I guess kind of works with Retrofetch Foundry actually, because you make all the tokens and then you landfall, you put tokens on them, uh, counters on them. Maybe that's the way to go. That's the way to go. So we've got we've got the new meta game, Retrofitter Foundry. Honestly, that's that's actually not that bad. No, no, I, it's not. If you think about it, they'll get out of control pretty fast. Cool. So also worth noting, I said it was four color control like snow, but this is no black. So this is um, slightly different to the other four color control decks we uh, mentioned. Fourteenth uh, place, we have Ramp on Rug Delver again. This is Jacob Nagro. If anyone knows him, uh, great player and brewer. Mostly modern, usually, but pretty cool to see him playing Legacy. Um, nothing stood out to me. I, unfortunately, this is like the same thing for all the Rug Delver decks. They've uh, they've solidified themselves. They play some threats. They play some counter magic, and they play some cantrips and some lands. I mean, that, I guess. that's the tradition of of uh, Rug Delver or Canadian Threshold. Um, mm-hmm. Do Do you remember when when the list was basically set in stone? Um, I don't know if you played back then, but there was a list between like 2005, yeah. six-ish, and and then especially in, seven, in 2007 when um, when Dillian Click came out, the mm-hmm. list was super stock. Like everything was stock, including the main deck, one rushing river and one Vendillion Click. This is when like four spell snare was stock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, four spell yeah. snare for sure. Yeah, yeah. And ever since, I kind of want Rushing River to return to Temple Decks, <laughs> but I guess we, we would need like proper Delver Temple yeah. Decks to return in the first place. Because like you mentioned, Rock Delver at this point is really like like a mid-range deck. It is. And the Tempo card to play now is um, Brazen Borrower, probably. True, true. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah that, that would definitely be it. Yeah. Oh, Rushing River is so cool, though. It is, it is. It was played in Omnitel for a while still, at least. But not, yeah. not the same idea. <laughs> uh, 15th place, we have Karate Dome. I think that's how you pronounce it. Playing Rock Delver as well, again pretty stock rug delver and 16th place one of my favorite decks uh at least 26 who is jack kitchen who's uh playing painter imperial short uh, not shortcake just imperial painter so no white it's got your standard stuff it's got cons and it has four main deck um painters as you usually do and then three main deck grindstones one on the sideboard but what stood out to me here was you're gonna like this four lightning bolt this is just completely um respecting dreadful darkness like my, lightning bolts often a cyber card for painter but i haven't seen four main deck in a long time or ever i like myself. it a lot yeah and we're actually gonna see him featured in the in the content that's gonna come out in wizard's website because there's one match that he's playing it's really really good i think it's against xj cloud i don't exactly it is, remember yeah. it is yeah i'm and that so was one of the best matches this. of the tournament oh. and i can confirm that lightning bolt is really good at least awesome. in in this matchup like it did yeah. a lot of work so this, I definitely this look is, forward to that. This is my request. I was like just dying to see. Because he is so, so insanely good at this deck. He's been playing it for forever, like since back in the day. If you go into the source, you'll see him in like the very early threads of Painter and stuff. And he's put so much work into it. And so I'm just so, so excited to watch this match. Um, one of the most intricate matchups in Legacy, probably, from two of the best players. Probably the best players of the deck, I'd say. So, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen hype, him on Magic like for many years playing... Where- Either Moonstompy or or Painter. That I think those are. It is and Painter. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I th- I don't know if you've seen him play Stompy, but yeah, Dredge is the other thing. 
You anyway. know, sometimes when they just like when they mark us off the moon, you and you never return. Um, you, you don't even notice like what they actually <laughs> yeah, played. Yeah. Well, yeah, he does play four main deck uh, Blood Moons stuff, so maybe oh, because of that. Sure. Oh yeah, he still plays the Blood Moons. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but no Magus of the Moons. Yeah, we, because we actually we talked about that in a recording that I think he mentioned that he doesn't feel that they are that good anymore. Mm-hmm. But they're still... There's one on the sideboard Honestly, too. I okay. almost want to say I, I thought you played Magus of the Moon and not Blood Moon. But I, I oh. almost want to... I almost wonder whether there's a mistake on the website, but maybe okay. I'm just misremembering. I think it's much more likely than misremembering yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> he has a Magus in the sideboard to like Imperial oh, maybe four. that's why I saw it because I, I was pretty sure I saw it in, in one of the matches ah okay yeah cool because I, I, I can like watch every match because that's that's the beauty Special. of the MTGO admin accounts oh dude it's I mean <laughs> I'm only watching the, the turn weekend matches because that's the only thing we are allowed to watch but it feels amazing if you're actually allowed to pick any match in the entire tournament that like there were like five to six six thousand matches played over the weekend yeah I think and just being able to spectate anything, that's that's really cool. I, I mean, Wizards is going to take away those powers again, and probably for the better, but just keep it, it them, felt cool. Hide them, keep them safe. <laughs> cool. All right, so yeah, that was our first event. Um, pretty cool. Like, we, we saw a few Delvers and Snows and stuff, but pretty rounded. This was where 2 DNT top 8 so uh, Twitter and Reddit loved it. Like, the deck is back. And uh, we went into Flight 2, Richard and Port. So I think everyone kind of thought this was the the um, best painting to win. So pretty cool to see that Death and Taxes won this one. I mean, I love that Death and Taxes won the Richardson Port painting. It just it's so so much justice. Perfect, it feels feels perfect. <laughs> so uh, first place we had uh, Tunduslav. I hope I said that right. Again, yeah. it uh, nothing stood out because it is. I think they credited XJ saying. I remember seeing that anyway. Crediting XJ saying this is his list. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, everybody, like this weekend, everybody credit XJ is like, yeah, you, dude, I, yeah. I had such a great meal. I had such a great time in the park. Thank you so much, XJ. Like, <laughs> he made everything <laughs> yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Number two, we had Baku92. It was on Pokepile. So, 91. By 91. Please. I'm going crazy. Some respect to our elders. Uh, my bad. It's, it's, they were in second place. That's why. I, I promise that's it. <laughs> <laughs> no respect no, for no. runner up. I like I'm sorry. It. Um, so Pokeball is the first time we've seen the deck in a little bit of a time, right? Um, well, at least the first big placing that I've noticed. The deck still feels good. So anyone that's not aware of what Pokeball is, there's a player called Jeff White who goes by Pokemoki Online. And he created this new idea of Stifle being not just a tempo card, but a way to pull ahead on mana. And mana is so important these days to play threats that just pull you further ahead while your opponent kind of scrambles under their lack of mana. Um, so there's one Narset, three Okos, which sounds like pretty what they did before. It's using Dredge Darkness as well, again, as this like extra threat to just like, as they're suffering under these stifles and dazes, these old tempo aspects, rather than attacking their life total, they're attacking on like a resource battle and just pulling further ahead every time someone like tries to play around a daze or a spell pierce or a stifle and stuff. If the opponent's playing slowly, you're going to capitalize on that by just slamming your threats and just being ahead on board. Is, is the general idea behind this so pretty cool to see it uh come second yeah and a lot of matchups also you can just like trade your stifles for anything that would otherwise be plus one card advantage so mm-hmm. you know you're still trading them off in one way or the other so they're barely ever going to be dead in, in the current legacy meta game yeah and end of the day you can still pitch to force and in a deck with so much card oh. advantage you can also afford to have some cards that are not great I think Stifle just has so many targets these days as well. So, 
Yeah. If you want, want to learn more about the deck, uh, I think a couple episodes ago we actually had Chef on where he basically introduces us to the deck and explains the, the entire theory behind running kind of like a Rock Diver shell without Diver and I think it makes a lot of sense and I'm, I'm actually super happy to see this deck uh, mm. go really deep into the tournament. Actually, another bit to cut out, Julian. <laughs> we didn't have him on, but we did talk about it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we almost did. He was on another episode. He was another episode. Okay, yeah. I'm actually not going to cut that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> he was on like another entire... episode before he made this okay. deck. But then uh, we, we covered, we did a whole episode on the deck. But, maybe um, we gave him the inspiration. Mm, maybe. Yeah, or maybe. I'm pretty sure we planted the seed. Yeah, yeah, totally. We probably I to- talked about something completely different, but I mean, that, that must have been it. I, I totally messaged him. I, I totally didn't message him before the episode and ask him if I was right about these things or not. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, in uh, third place, we have Rug Delver, played by Louis MJ. Again, there was a couple of like, okay, this is not super exciting to some people, but there's two spell pierces in the main deck. Um, everyone's focusing on like much more tap out styles. So everyone's playing, if you can, turn one Delver, turn two Arcanist, turn three Oko kind of thing. Um, so I just haven't seen spell pierce in a while. I actually played against this person and they beat me with spell pierce. So maybe it's just ingrained in my head. Yeah, these days it feels like whenever I go up against against the Delver deck, like in the past, Delver decks always had spell pierces, usually in the main as well. And these days, I'm like, yeah, nobody's gonna have spell pierces. Like, what what's the worst that could happen? Like, they made fire suffer my my glimpse, and and then there's spell pierces, and you're like, oh shit, fucking time machines. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. Like you mentioned, I'm not surprised to see it come back. Like in a world where people play, I don't know, Garok Primal Hunter, spell pierces a place for sure. Oh my god, look at the artwork. Have, do, um, you I'm got a mouse over. I'm looking oh at my it. god, I have no idea where that's coming from, but from it's so weird. Secret Lair. Okay, everybody check out Secret Lair Spare Pierces because <laughs> <that's> yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a tattoo themed secret lair. Oh, okay, 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 okay. That's pretty wild. <laughs> it is <laughs> wild. Next? Yeah. <laughs> no no comment. Cool. I, I'm not sure about it. <laughs> but um otherwise, yeah. Uh, Rugged Elva. In fourth place we have Basuta who is playing Moonstumpy. It's another deck we just saw kind of disappear. I guess it struggled against Snow, it can struggle against Delver, but this deck is built very differently to how we know it. So we have two Anjay's Ravager in the main deck, which I love this card. And when it got spoiled, I thought it was actually going to be very good in Legacy. It's a 3-mana 3-3. It attacks each combat and Fable, and when it attacks, you discard your hand and draw three cards, and it has Madness for 2-mana. But I don't think that'll come up very often in this deck. But, um... I don't know, just in a deck that's like pumping everything out in your hand with soul lands and seeming spirit guides and chromoxes and stuff. Yeah, you get rid of your hand, then you can play this and then just like get your cards back up again. So pretty cool. Yeah, I like that it also like works on, on attack and not on actually I don't like that because that that's like the, the, the thing, the theme that has been going on. Like yeah, no the blocking. cards don't need to connect anymore. Yeah, like yeah. blocking is irrelevant. You, you you just gotta make it to the attack step from your main phase. You can do mm-hmm. it. And and then you get to refuel your hand, and that's exactly what this card is doing for the deck. I, I think it's kind of cool. I, I saw it in action, and I think the the Ravager actually contributed quite a bit. Nice, yeah. It seems really. There's two more on the sideboard as well, so full four in the seventy five. Uh, I think it's really powerful, and it's cool to see it be worked on, because this this build. So the other the other stuff that's different to usual is this four P and Kirin Alar, which is um the mum and dad of Chandra, I believe it is. Yep. Or, yeah, uh, so it's there are four mana two two. When it enters the battlefield, create two one one colorless stop artifact creature tokens with flying, and for two in a red, you can sacrifice an artifact and it deals two damage to any target. So this card is like 
pretty decent against Delver. You can at least try and block stuff or gives you a lot of blockers to buy some time against big Tarmogoyfs or something. It's just bodies on the board and it's very good against Snow, I guess, as well because it's just extra bodies on the board. So I'm interested to see how it actually, they actually played out because in theory it seems okay. Um, they're kind of replacing the Chandras, I guess. Yeah, so, I was wondering whether you want to play the Chandras or the or her parents. <laughs> yes, so... Oh, yeah, true. So the Chandras, there's actually four Chandras in the sideboard. So Chandra seems like the best card in the deck very often, so I'm surprised, but yeah, this is a too big brain for me to play Chandras in the sideboard. I guess it helps you, like, playing... Uh, okay, bo- okay, so Chandra and Piankira and Nana, they allow you to clear the path for, like, a Ravager, but I guess if you're only playing two Ravagers, that's not really a big deal. Um, yeah. I think this is just focused on creatures beating down because I guess yeah. like there's just very little um, sweepers being played right now. And so anything that creates, like there's loads of spot removal, so anything that creates tokens, like you also have four Goblin Ravmaster, four Legion War Boss in this deck. So you're just looking to really pressure any decks playing swords and bolts and whatever. Um, the deck also has three Shaskal Smashing, which I think is sweet. So this is the uh, one of the the bolt lands as we called them before so the you can play it as a land and etb is tapped unless you pay three life or shadow skull smashing side is two red and x there's x damage divides you choose among up to two target creatures and or planeswalkers or if x is six or more deals twice x damage divides you choose among them instead so this is just like a a land that you can put under chrome mox or removal for a delver or whatever it seems amazing in this deck Oh, that's actually interesting. Oh, yeah, because the front side is actually like a, a red sorcery, so you can put yeah, it in the exactly. Um Would you ever want to do that? I guess if you have too many lands, but you want to get some tempo advantage like like the stack always does. Yeah, actually, yeah. I don't hate that. Actually, yeah, that, that makes the deck a lot more consistent. Yeah, it seems very good to me. Very cool. And in a in a world of like Delve Everywhere, you just if you can have a land or a mana source that also is a removal spell, even if it's not very efficient, that's amazing. I don't know. I think it's just great. So when we talked about these on our um, episode going over new sp- new spoilers and stuff, didn't clock it in Moonstompy actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, look who, who you got in fifth place. Oh my God. What a scrap. Anzi D, <laughs> he's a right, I guess. Um, spoiler, he also top eighted the third one as well. Just insane, insane run. So he came like, I think he was just outside the top 16 in the first one, like 22nd if I remember correctly. 24. Yeah, something like that. I thought twenty first, but yeah, yeah. Some of that. Then fifth place in this one and top eight again in the last one. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Just an amazing player. Amazing streamer. Amazing person. Go check him out. Seventy two hours, no sleep, easy game. Oh, mental. He's he's, <laughs> he's a machine. It's actually insane. Like if you could like think about like at least the two events that he top eighted, that must have been like ten rounds. I guess even eleven, because I think in one he lost in the quarterfinals in both. And mm-hmm. and then the the Friday event as well. And then yeah. he was also like working on coverage with me. Like I have no idea. Like this guy must be full of coffee at this point. I think so. He has like a nitro machine right by his desk, probably. But um, the deck he played is what he's been playing in most uh, like big events recently. It's five color snow. Uh, not too many standouts on both the lists. He has two null rods sideboard, which is not super common. Kind of fucks with your astrolabes, I guess. But he probably expected DNT, which I guess you still want the astrolabes there. But it does enough work otherwise. And um, maybe he's he's struggling with combo decks as well. And then two Shark Typhoons, pretty cool to see. I really like them in this deck. So um, yeah, they're, they're just like another endgame 
well, mana sink or anything that you can like rever- leverage yeah. in the end game, right? Exactly. I've seen him cast it with Carpet of Flowers, I believe, like a couple of times. Yeah. And That's I think legit. at that point, like w- once you get that down and and you sit behind like Force of Earth or something, it's it's crazy. It's really yeah. crazy. Like Legacy can't deal with five five flyings. That's it. Something's never changed. I, I remember when when that was the theme like eleven years ago when people said, well, back then was like a four four Genesis. That, oh, yeah. that like tempo decks they couldn't beat genesis because genesis <laughs> you know you pay three mana you recur it and then yeah. you play it out again for five and it's a five four four and it's like bigger than, than anything <laughs> the tempo decks can have the and then tomograph became a thing yeah yeah okay because i guess back then it was like mongoose werebear and medley mage i think yeah, yeah. against werebear i guess it trades but yeah <laughs> yeah fun times so he also actually doesn't have uh, ice fan quetels in the deck which is Wait, he, just, he got none. He's got none. Okay, this is this is actually. Cr- he's got none. Okay, he's got at least two dead of winter, I guess. Okay. Yeah, so, so two dead of winter. He has three source of plowshares, which is it's usually four as well. But I think from what I remember him saying, he likes shark, shark typhoon over ice fang, um, because they do trade with delvers fairly easily as well. Do a similar thing. It's two extra mana, but you don't need to have death touch on. Or maybe he just thinks the Delver matchup's so good already. It's okay, which I can see. Yeah, I th- I th- wasn't it like in one of our previous casts, or maybe maybe I talked about it somewhere else? Where there's a trend to start cutting the Ice Fang Codes from the deck because, um, as we mentioned in the previous episode, if you're blocking, you're losing because mm-hmm. the, the actual damage is being done on attack, not on blocks. Yeah. So it is bad versus Arcanist. While the card is still like technically good, it's there's other things you might want to do. Like for example, he's running six bottom remover spells, including the the three assassins trophies and and that's i guess what you would rather do yeah yeah plus the two dead of winters and then of course four arrows to just clog stuff up yeah it seems good enough without them so that's cool and three seven libraries of course because that's what you do in legacy you gain life and you draw cards <laughs> yeah controls paradise <laughs> oh mid-range paradise okay yeah true this is, i i am <laughs> always on record how, how like a lot of control decks are like fake control decks and they're actually like yeah. mid-range decks <laughs> All right, so uh, moving on, we have in sixth place, we have Settaline, or Settaline, Settaline, I think, Bug Hogek. Um, again, pretty stock. We have just the usual things. Yeah, it's, yeah, we have the Dry Dar, but that's the only thing that's sometimes a bit different. But yeah, Bug Hogek, pretty up another result, which is cool. So it's top eighted both the first event and the second event, which is nice to see. Didn't put up a huge amount of numbers outside of that from what I remember, but um yeah. Um, well, it's we're gonna get to that, but it's yeah, still one yeah. of the most successful decks of the entire weekend. Oh, okay. Put me in it's my place. <laughs> still in the t- I I remember it to be in the top five, but we, we'll get to that. Okay, cool. Uh, seventh place we have to- uh, Windsource, who is Tom White, uh, known as like one of the absolute end bosses monsters, especially in modern of uh, like prelims and challenges and premier events. The guy wins PTQs all the time, and he's just an incredible. Like he always plays control. So um, so he's playing five color snow, but snow is quote unquote snow. So he has the yeah. green green sun's earth package in the deck. Um, so I actually I really like this in theory, and I've tried it a few times, and I'm surprised more people aren't doing this. So it is kind of similar to what Anorag's deck was like as well, or any other kind of snow decks. But then it has as um, green sun targets a knight of the Rickery, uh, Leovold, a Omnath Locus of Creation, one of the new ones. Then it gets to play like just just two euros because then you can green sun for it, so it's essentially five euros. You also have um, a dried arbor to green sun for, so you can like play your turn two okos and whatever. So these decks really want to get ahead on mana fast as well. So I really like it in theory. You what just do you- skip over the best 
Greenstone's on the target in this entire deck. Oh shit. Noble Hierarch. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Noble That's Hierarch. my favorite card in all of Magic. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah, I, I thought there was like four of them actually. That's why I went over it because it was going to be something else to say. But no, one Noble Hierarch. I'm sorry. Best card in the deck. You know what I like about it? If you like randomly got it and then later on you get into one of those like Oko Wars where everybody like elks each other's mm. um, Oros. So then... you have four, four elks. Yeah, yeah. I, but I'm actually not even sure if that's better because if, like the other guys, Oko, uh, Uro dies, then they get to replay Oro, and then you're, you're sitting, right. still sitting there with their four four. Like I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's a thing that could come up. Um, <laughs> yeah, any any deck that's playing Noble Hierarch already immediately has my attention, even if, if it's just a one off. By the way, something that's also really interesting that I just noticed: there's a one off Field of the Dead, which is a card that has been talked about a lot in the past, especially like in the past one two weeks. Yeah, when people were trying to figure out how to go like on top of each other like we talked about earlier in the, in the snowcomb mirror because honestly i don't want to say it's a miserable mirror but i also haven't played too much of it but I've, I've watched quite a bit of it and it's that kind of like like i said fake control mm-hmm. rather mid-range mirror where nobody's really able to get a leg up because everybody keeps doing the same until somebody like runs into uh, either like a series of bad decisions or a series of like bad top decks and yeah, yeah, field of the dead. Since like nobody can actually take away the field, that there's like no wastelands and stuff. And if you they, sit on it and you make enough land drops, you you get to build a reasonable army. Yeah, it should go over the top. Like some people playing uh, assassin's trophy, like Anorag is, so that's a way to deal with it. But um, otherwise, he does have like a pseudo tutor chain for it as well. You can green sun for night and night for the field of the dead as well. So it's not like just a random one of as well. He can find it pretty consistently. And so as a one-of, it probably took a spell slot in the deck. It's the 22nd land. So I quite like it. Like, it might it might not be able to just, like, solo win games because it's not going to beat your opponent if they have an Uro and an Oko in play or whatever. But it's just this extra layer on top when you're both doing the yeah. same thing. But if I was going to a Snowcomb Mirror and I saw Field of the Dead on my opponent's deck list, that would actually scare me much more than any 5-mana Planeswalker I ever could. Yeah, true. What I think is actually extra good about this deck for the Mirrors is the Cyborg Clothis which you can green sun for. So this is like a this is what makes green sun really good to me. Oh my uh, god, that's insane. Yeah. Oh my god, I just realized it's because it's like it's never really a creature, right? No, but in no. the deck it's a creature. Yeah. Oh my god. So this is where oh you Oh my can fucking really go. god, this deck is the best. <laughs> so it's kind of like a it's like <laughs> Snow Maverick. There we go. We've got your attention, Julian. It's Snow Maverick. Can, can we just like drop all the bullshit and just play that? Because like when I watched Daniel's matches in, in the top 8, Clothus did so much oh, work. Clothus I mean, is insane. Yeah. I wonder whether, like, everybody talks about Clothus, like, not all the time, but often enough. And I wonder whether we are still, like, not getting Clothus, because when, when I recorded with Daniel, and, I mean, his matches were quite long, so we talked quite a bit. Yeah. And he had a lot to say about Clothus, like, all the time. It, it felt like his entire game plan in some matchups really was just, like, get Clothus out, nobody can touch it, and now I'm just going to sit here and defend myself for, like, you know, yeah. five, six, seven turns. I think that's the plan against Snow, so. And you can send it for it. It's insane. Yeah, so this <laughs> this this list looks like just fantastic in the the mirrors and for Delver. Like again against Delver, you just have all this usual stuff as well. You have loads of spot removal. You have Okos and Uros and Ice Fangs and everything. So yeah, and then you also have in the sideboard you have Scavenging News and Collector Roof to Green Sun for like really really hard hitting hate cards. So there's a lot of going on here. A lot to unpack. Point, like, I kind of want to find I kind of want to find a way to put Clothes and Elves. Um, Black, uh, red has always been like one of the weaker splashers in the deck, but oh, yeah. this card, indestructible. Well, the problem with elves <laughs> and clothis is elves kills the opponent too fast. 
for it to matter. Yeah, and also I should probably like turn on Clothus at some point and then they can start supplying oh, us totally and, or, or Terminus it. It's like, oh shit. <laughs> I have seen a, a screenshot from uh, Albert, who's Ali, who plays the lands a lot. He's posted a screenshot of uh, Clothus attacking from lands when he had like so many chokes and explorations in play that it was active. <laughs> Pretty cool. Oh, you could do that. Oh my God, look, look, look in eighth place. This is amazing. So we, yeah, eighth place we have Rugdilver. Yeah, the, the the deck is like bullshit. No, the deck is not bullshit, but I don't care about the deck right now. Uh, <laughs> you know Wiki? Yes. So this is Angelo Cadai, Cadai the uh, Italian master of legacy. He usually plays Miracles, so who we see him playing Rugdelva? I'm so surprised to see him play that because like Same. I've known Angelo for many years and he's always gravitated heavily towards control decks, or I guess, um, well, I guess Twin also counts as a control deck in modern oh, back yeah, then. Yeah. And seeing him play this instead of Snow, I'm... Yeah, I'm surprised as well. I kind of almost wanted to say that makes me have even more respect for him as if like playing Snow <laughs> would make me think less of him. No, that I wouldn't. But like w when I see somebody who's very much known to play a specific style of deck, but then he's like, you know what? We're going to do something else and I'm going to be actually really successful with it apparently. Mm -hmm. I that, that just makes me feel good. I don't know. I, I, yep. I like it when people do that. Definitely, definitely. Like when I saw the standings at the end, I saw his name there. I was like, oh, okay, so we've got like probably snow could be miracles of some kind i thought he'd be playing a uh, mark mark eric Vogt's kind of miracles oh, list actually that's why i picked I it as guessed. but um yeah. he has it so mostly stock he has a spell piece and a spell snare in the, in the main deck which similar to the spell pieces earlier a bit different but uh, a splash of differentness <laughs> otherwise yeah so moving on we in ninth place we have uh lactone five six five one three really catchy name uh, rolls off the tongue you know um this it's actually another deck we haven't seen too much of recently uh slow depths i guess i've i've always this is one of my weak spots i don't know how to define uh depth decks very well so um i'm sure the discord's going to give me hell but uh it's got dark confident it has elvish reclaimers it has a main deck abrupt decays looks and like seven discard spells looks pretty slow to me yeah i think like a big thing is whether you play stuff like Dark Confident in the first place or like Lotus Petals. I guess it's sometimes split between Lotus Petals and the Ever Spirit Guides, but they both have their like advantages. Mm -hmm. But I think Dark Confident is rather uncommon in actual turbo depth, I want to say. But yeah, yeah I'm, I also yeah. don't want to be like 100% on this, but I'm I'm rather sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, cool stuff. We have a Shizo Death Storehouse. Can you... Uh... Oh, oh, okay. Let me, let me guess. <laughs> ah, yeah, you damn. have to guess. I, I'm not gonna mouse over it, okay? Um, no. Because I like I'm almost uh, I was about to. Ah, uh, that. Uh, okay, I think it's something about blocking or either kind of. life gain, life loss. Uh, but I don't remember. I think it's something, something about blocking. To blocking. Yeah, I'm gonna give in. I'm gonna. Okay. Oh, it's this one. I could have told by the artwork. Yeah, 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 yeah okay. Yeah, you you gain fear. You gain fear. Oh my god, I, I actually played that in, in one of my decks. Oh my god. <laughs> so yeah, games. Oh. Uh, so it's a legendary land. Taps for black mana or black and tap it. Target legendary creature gains fear until end of turn. So this essentially gives you a merit age fear, which is can't be blocked by black and or artifact creatures. Um, so it gets through like ice fan quartal, I guess, uh, flicker wisps, stuff like that. Annoying flying creatures. Yeah, it can only be basically blocked by another Marit Lodge. Yeah, or like Baleful Strix. Or Oni Topter. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> so, um, yeah, surprised to see this. I think it's been like, a, it seems kind of niche, but I guess it's just another land. So, fine, you can crop rotation it's for it. basically another it. version of Sichiri Step, I guess, but it also yeah. produces um, a kind of mana that's actually relevant to your deck. Yeah, and it has really cool artwork, so I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, sideboard, we have two Torpor Orbs. What do you think those are for? 
oh dude that's that's an amazing choice like th those have been like the been discussed in, in I think the community for like a week or so because not only does this like really hurt Fs, it also like it's a big big thing against Death in Texas and also Espawile. And I think you could even consider it against Uro. Like I'm not too hot on having it against Uro because usually it doesn't really cross over into other like I guess it also turns off their Ice Fang Codals kinda at least the card draw. I'm not sure whether you would bring it in. Against um, against Uro, it's quite funny if they just cast Uro, it doesn't get sacrificed, so they have a three mana six six. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. not, not too oh, great. Oh, by the way, we should also mention what it does because it's probably like rather uh, common. It's a two mana artifact, and creatures enter the battle. Creatures entering the battlefield don't cause abilities to trigger. So yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah. It, it, not not too hot against Uro, but I I like it. Like you said, it's. Elves and DNT and Espervile, like they do make up a pretty sizable portion of the metagame. And DNT and Espervile especially seem tough. Like this is gonna stop your palace jails, your flicker wisps, stuff like that. So yeah, seems cool. Maybe like a little bit too niche at the end of the day, but it's pretty high impact as well, so yeah. yeah, it also it depends a little bit on like how much you struggle in that matchup and how much of that that card is gonna solve. Yeah. And I think especially Fs, but also like already creeping up to the tournament DNT where we're showing like pretty good results. So maybe that's just like a way to to hedge your bets or something. Be like, yeah, okay, I if, so. if I face those, I'm gonna have a really strong card against them. I mean, you could also play something like Curse Totem, but I guess that turns off your Elfish Reclaimers, and overall it's still. I'm, I'm somewhat torn between whether Trop or Orb or Curse Totem is better against Fs, and I guess it also heavily depends on the matchup, but those two yeah. cards really hit hard. Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, moving on. We have in 10th place, we have Hopkins23 playing DNT. Again, uh, cool to see. Nothing stood out to me, but um, again, DNT just putting up the numbers again and again. 11th place, we have Salty Heater on Esper Vile. Um, I always have to like go over Espervile decks like really meticulously because I've put nothing stood out to me, but um, there's so many one-offs and like the sideboard changes quite a lot. So I think I think it looks pretty normal. Like we have we have one Skyclave Apparition in the main deck and one in the sideboard. So that's a new card. We'll, we'll talk about this more when we get to DNT after the deck lists. But um, yeah, yeah, pretty pretty. I mean, Wenza is not the super most common choice anymore ever since. Um, uh... Really. Baron. Ever since where is it? Apparition became a thing. But okay. I mean, I think probably still I would guess around half the decks are still playing Wenza. Okay. And maybe it, like I'm I'm not even saying that that it's worse to play Wenza because there's things you can only do with Wenza. Especially once it involves, you know, stuff that Apparition can touch if the mana cost becomes too big. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was kinda like Wenza. Wenza even like gets rid of like encounterable stuff from the stack. Um if, if you play against like Doomsday, you know, you just mm. send back there the Thassus Oracle's like no big deal. Yeah, Kevin, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I like Yeah, that. I like Wenza a lot. It does a lot for the deck, so makes sense. Um twelfth place we have Yet Cat, who is a Toru Takish uh, Takisaka, who is very, very well known Japanese player who plays lands. Um they placed fourth place at Eternal Weekend 2018, so pretty recently. And I'm pretty sure they've like won or placed very highly at a lot of big uh, events in Japan. Um, so yeah, they are one of the best lands players in my opinion. And they were playing four main deck reclaimer this time around, which feels like a, like this is one of the best cards I think lands has available to beat um, Delver. So that stands out because it's very often like a kind of a cyborg card usually, or maybe one or two in the main deck. So cool to see four of. And it also has two of the new uh, enchantment, which. I think we a lot of people apart from the lands people slept on this in the deck like 
we're on our uh, spoiler cast we were talking about oh there's maybe a sideboard option for control but he's got two in the main deck here and i think lands may end up playing more it's just insane in the deck it's a valica exploration i think on the spoiler episode you actually mentioned this as, as a we did yeah really slot well into into archie lands i gave it to you to talk about because there's loads of words on it and then we said it could like go into land sideboards but it's just a main deck card apparently <laughs> <laughs> so wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm supposed to take care of the cards that have lots of words and then you introduce like I don't know Raging Goblin exactly <laughs> and speaking of, <laughs> and speaking can, I, of... Can, I tell, can I tell a fun story really quick because um, when I was going back to, to my recording with Daniel that was actually quite the experience <laughs> we, we were once again talking about Uro and Oko and he told me for like a month or so he didn't know what the cards do because he was just like too lazy to read like all of their abilities <laughs> so he would just like start off like reading just like the first paragraph or the first line like oh that's what the card does and then like he didn't care about it for a couple of weeks and then eventually he was like okay let's read the second line oh, I don't even care this is so much text this, <laughs> like this is a such a Daniel thing amazing <laughs> so which card didn't he know Valica Exploration uh, no, he. Oh. I think he didn't know like what Uru does because there was like so much, so much going on in Uru. So eventually, like after a month, he decided to read the entire thing. I don't think I believe him there, but I believe him for any other cards. If there was one person in the world I would believe believe on that stuff. It might be him. On the uh, other hand, he, he's like really abused Uro, but but maybe actually just he played has. it and and eventually was like, I just play this and eventually I win. I'm not even sure. What yeah, it does. just don't read it. And you'll you'll eventually work it out after what it does. You're gonna be fine. Your punch is gonna scoop. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um. So yeah, lands, Valakite Exploration, sweet. Uh, 13th place, we have Burst Meow on Rugdelver. Again, nothing stood out there. 14th, we have Lin Chalice playing Strifopile. This is the Yorian, um, Yorian version again. Uh, different to the Nahiri version we talked about earlier. This is like a pretty heavy black, no white, um, loads of removal, loads of ones and twos of and threes of and in typical chase style, four deck fadens. Well, I can't uh, say anything. I have a restraining order on ever commenting on on Strifopile decks because they represent everything I hate. <laughs> so I'm going to be the player, but the deck. You can be the yin. I'm going to be the yang, and I love these kind of decks. Like we can we can do, talk about it another time, but I love it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it, people. Fiftieth uh, place, we have Ant played by David Van der Raven. Haven't seen this is the only uh, only Storm deck I think placed in these top sixteens until I get to one probably soon and look like an idiot, but. Uh, altogether, I think Ant was surprisingly the most successful Storm deck of the entire weekend, oh, cool. um, putting three people, I believe, in all top 16s combined. So on average, like one in each top 16, oh, which is, is quite surprising, right? Considering oh, more that in the top deck 16s. wasn't really like played. You mean you mean eight twos or top 16s? Oh, uh, eight twos, eight twos. Yeah, yeah okay. that's what I meant. Cool, cool. cool. Um, there's some really cool cyborg tech. So, have have you seen this? Uh oh my god. Okay, I would never know what this card does, but I, like whenever I don't know, I oh I I, I remember it. Okay, this is they have Kahira the Orphan Guard. Oh, oh okay, Orphan yeah. Guard. I thought it was like okay. So for those who don't know, it's it's um a companion, a planeswalk, and oh it's a it's a creature, it's a cat, <laughs> cat beast. One, it has basically kitchen fink mana costs. If if that works, it's one, and then a green or a white or a green or a white. It's a three two, and the requirement is that you have. Each creature card in your deck is a cat, elemental, nightmare, dinosaur, beast card. Okay, so it's basically free to include as a sideboard card. It doesn't really matter what it does. I guess it has vigilance each. Yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. And 
So the interesting thing about this card is like, why would you put that in there? I mean, technically it's a card you can wish for or like wish for quote unquote as in like companion wish style. Mm -hmm. And then you have like an extra card. You can get it down. It's a creature. I guess it can murder like a Dreaded Arcanist if they don't have like a Lightning Bolt or something. But I think the main reason it's there and that's so fucking cool. Seriously. So smart. Yeah, it's it's Giga Brain. Yeah, (laughs) they have three force of Vigor in the sideboard which requires you to pitch a green card. And since this Kahira Cat Beast is a green and white card, you can actually wish for it to satisfy, like, Warforce. This is so yeah. flavorful. So you, like, so you, you want to pick- destroy the things that are binding you, the artifacts, the enchantments, whatever. So you wish for your for your Cat Beast Dinosaur God, and then you make a, mo- like, the biggest sacrifice ever. You, you get rid <laughs> you of your Cat your Beast Dinosaur Lord. <laughs> yeah 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 this is like like in super mario when you walk towards the fin- towards the finish line you make that big jump and then you you dump yoshi and you jump from <laughs> yoshi's bag into the finish lines this is what's happening here oh poor yoshi oh, so sicky here is, is yoshi giga brain deck building yeah so i i first saw cliffy michael clifford post about this in the the ant uh, facebook group i think and yeah it's just so clever so cool here's a question do you reveal kahira game one before before the game starts you probably don't right i mean unless you know what the matchup is and you think that the three two creature might actually ever do something yeah but you probably don't i mean I, you could because oh, honestly like if you do and your opponent isn't aware of the tech going around they might think you're a creature deck which probably doesn't change too much but yeah well i mean you have to have only like cats elementals nightmares dinosaurs or beasts in your deck so if you reveal this you basically say i'm not delver i'm not snow i'm not dnt I'm not Moonstompy. I'm not a lot of things. Yeah. So oh, I, that's true. That's true as well. Yeah. So I think you don't reveal it game one, and then you just reveal it the sideboard games. Pretty cool. So crazy, crazy, <laughs> conf- awesome stuff. Your opponent's gonna be so confused when you <laughs> yeah. reveal it. <laughs> oh, imagine, oh my imagine God, the transformation like, sideboard into beasts. You just tenders them, and then t- game two, Shokihira. <laughs> hmm. Very cool. And then it, it is just like you can cast it off petals, and you have Bayou and. Uh, tropical island in the deck as well so mm-hmm. cool and uh rounding out the second top 16 we have manas playing four color miracles so we had a discussion last time whether it's is miracles or is it snow but it's basically bant snow but it has three terminus so quite a few so yeah it's like miracles as well usual suspects we have a jace three okos to fairy astrolabes ice fang snapcasters only one uro and um a silver library counterparts and back to basics in the main um counterbalance we, we keep seeing counterbalance pop up every once in a while does, mm. does it really do something like- i feel like it's not great right now like delva has like a higherish curve as well and the mirrors it's probably good sometimes it's, it just feels so hit and miss i'm not a fan of it really but yeah but cool it stuff. can be annoying i guess because it introduces like a level of variance to to the games that you might not want but yeah at least you have stupid Allosaurus Shepherd for it now, so you just don't you just don't <laughs> care at all. <laughs> oh, and they have a humility. I think we saw a humility earlier in oh, one yeah. of the lists. Um, that's basically kind of like a top up, right? Uh, yeah. Is there like any way to break humility in these kinds of decks? I guess you have planeswalkers. Oh, and you have Oko. Yeah, Oko yeah, allows you to have three threes even under humility. Yeah. Yeah, it seems cool. And if people are playing like elves, DNT, uh, sneak and show, whatever, yeah, it seems cool. All right, so uh, moving on to our final flight. So this is what the one for the Maze of Ith painting. So this is the one that hit. But I can can I interrupt you, please? Go like, on. yep. 
who made the decision to pick Maze of Earth? Yeah, like, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't gonna touch on that because, uh, but I was gonna touch on that because like this person is probably like still watching Friends and and like living in, <laughs> in, in a meta game like from 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's like why yeah. we have so, honestly like okay here's the thing i'm, I'm gonna give them some credit i think the, the flavor of these cards has always been iconic lands at least for the legacy winners and yeah. there's only so many iconic legacy lands i think if you had done tabernacle i think tabernacle has not been done yet oh my god or that would even, have been insane yeah, yeah something something other than mace like mace yeah. was iconic 10 years ago but, 10 but years ago. uh mystic sanctuary Oh no, that would be a troll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we joked about doing Oko. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and vintage they just do Astrolabe, like the most powerful artifacts. Like, okay, Astrolabe. <laughs> That's like yeah, this yeah. awesome artwork where like all the power nine they bow down to the mighty Astrolabe. It's like, oh, I'm a generous king. Oh no, no, Astrolabe. Okay, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, uh Maze the artwork is amazing for this one as well, so it's pretty cool. Like it's still a really iconic card. Like it's it's Eternal Weekend. It's talking about eternal things. Maze of Earth is played in eternal formats, and it's like very big in other like unsanctioned formats, I guess, and pre-modern and things. You were about to say casual. <laughs> I was about to, and I, I <laughs> breaked and turned to the side. But um, yeah, not not the best one ever. But I think it's I think it's fine. I like it. It's cool. Yeah, artwork is amazing. Yeah. Artwork is absolutely amazing. It reminds you of of Breath of the Wild. Gotta say. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, true. It does. So this event hit capacity, 672 players. That is insane. I just realized we didn't actually mention how many players were in the first two, but it was 400 and... Well, the first one was 581, uh-huh. and the second one was a little less. Um, I guess there was... Yeah, it was 400 and yeah. something. Yeah, I think it was a little bit harder to, to hit the second one because it basically started right as the top eight of the second one was yeah, going. So yeah. anyone who played the first 10 rounds... They probably couldn't play another ten rounds, so but it's it's kind of hard to make the timing work. I think the idea was they make the timing work for like their three regions that I used to yeah. have pay by tournaments. events. I love that. I and... love the way they did this. I've got to say, yeah. But um, this this was the big one for Americans. So six hundred seventy players signed up. That capped, and then there were reports of loads of people missing out, which is a huge shame because I wasn't going expecting them to cap. So I, if I wasn't like ready to play, I wouldn't have signed up till last minute and then missed out as well. So yeah, sorry to everyone that didn't get in. Hopefully they they've said for the vintage ones they've um, allowed for one thousand twenty four players now. <laughs> Should it happen? You know I I feel actually a little bit embarrassed because mm-hmm. when Anorak and I we were talking to Wizards um, we were like a little bit concerned whether the the vintage event would hit the minimum cap and stuff and so they reduced it to nine or like sixteen or something. Oh, really? Because it was like a little bit more and we were like oh we don't know you get two on the same day and now like Legacy sets the pace was like almost oh, like yeah. six hundred or something. No, I think I think vintage is going to get great numbers. I don't know about cap, but we'll see. It's gonna it's gonna be big. I think people online really like playing vintage actually. Yeah, and um, before we go into that, I also want to mention, I know that Wizards has actually allowed people who couldn't get into the final event to exchange their, you know, legacy event ticket token for the vintage one. Um, oh, that's really people have good. been in contact with customer support and they they made that work. So good. if you if you want to do that, um, just reach out to them on Twitter or via the maybe even like compensation thing that they have on the website. Yeah, they've seemed quite accommodating to this because as they should, like they... I guess I like the way they did it. Like you don't have to dedicate yourself to which one you want to play. Like personally, I like the way they did it. But at the same time, there is some obvious feel bads where you buy a ticket and then you you can't play. Like that's that's awful. But 
Yeah, I think it's it's been well run from what I can tell, apart from the prizes. But moving on, should we uh, cover the third event? Yeah, definitely. Let's go ahead. Cool. So first base, we had Azuzera on elves. Um, what do you think of this elves list? And what do you think uh, of elves? Dude, I'm 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 so happy to see him do well. Um, yeah. I, I've actually talked to him quite a bit um, after the event because nice. we were also recording Eduardo from Brazil, by the way. Oh, awesome! And it's so cool to see him doing like such a nice guy. And he's he told me he's very much like a legacy grinder dedicated to legacy he's been playing nice. lots of f's and i'm so happy to see him doing well he told me like he he basically picked up one of my recent lists and just made a couple of changes i think it looks like he cut the two once upon a times and added the two elfish reclaimers and also like the caracas in the side part because you get access to that and dude from matches i watched he was just like he was demolishing people. Nice. It wasn't even close, at least in the top eight matches. Actually, you know what? Maybe I'm going to go back and watch his, his, his um, Swiss matches as well. But I'm so happy. Like, obviously, I'm happy to see Avs doing well, right? Because I'm, I'm very, very fond of the deck. And <laughs> it's also not surprising, though. Like, yeah. good player, good deck. Good yeah. matchups all around the board, mostly. That's, that's totally. like something that happens. Even though we'll, we'll touch on it in a second, his uh, victory over the second place list is quite actually surprising as well, which is pretty cool. But um, yeah, as, as same with you. Like, really, I love to hear someone who like dedicates a lot of time to learning legacy and a very good player because of that do well. So, massive congratulations. Uh, second place, we have. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So we have oops all spells. I can't believe it. I still can't believe it. We did call out on this podcast saying. I think the biggest winner from the new set will be Oops or Spells, and here we have it. This player went undefeated until the final. That's twelve <laughs> and oh. Twelve without twelve wins without losing until the very final. Um with Oops or Spells, which was a meme deck until a few weeks ago or a month ago, whenever the set came out. It's crazy. He even he, he even went even further to handicap himself. He limited himself to thirteen sidebar cards. Yeah. <laughs> he accidentally included two ground seers. Which, like we mentioned earlier, in the right kind of deck can be a really good thing. Yeah. But I think he quickly discovered, like during the tournament, that ground seal actually stops your own combo because you can't directly turn your, your creature yes. anymore. Yeah. Oh, this is but he, he was like a good sport about it. He was actually choking about it. And so I mean that's probably like the most positive and, and productive way to go about it. Yeah, I love that. Did you? Um, is the final going to be on the the coverage? Yes, yes. Okay. the final is going to be on. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say how the final is. No, no. Um, but you. I know a funny thing you, about it, but I'm not going to say then. Cool. I mean, I, I guess he streamed it, so it's public knowledge, you know. Since he actually, since he streamed it, we can actually talk about it here. Um, so if you don't want to hear about it, just skip forward like a minute or two. So the thing, the way the finals worked is he uh, mulliganed down to five in the first game, played one of his, I think the turntables in Bios' land, mm. and then Elves just killed him on turn three. Oh, okay. And in the second game, I he think got Elves killed him on turn three again, and nice. Elves did have a ley line, I believe. Like he, I think he didn't cast a single... Uh, oh no, he cast a couple of Lotus Petals and that's it. Oh, fine. I was told that game one... Um, his opponent played an Elvish Reclaimer and then he like didn't go for it because he was scared of Bog off it or something. Oh, that's my, okay. Okay, think... so in the first game, I, I saw him go down to five because mm -hmm. I, I was I was only watching from the Elves perspective and on his stream he had a hand hider. Okay. And I figured he might get to five and then just didn't, didn't have it. And Elves did in fact have the Reclaimer and that could be a sign, yeah. Yeah, he, he might have just not had it as well. I don't know for sure, but... um. I was told that Elves went like turn one reclaimer and then got to untap so that people were saying like, oh, that's GG. But then when we saw the list, there was no um, Bajuka bug. So yeah, 
But if, if, if elves kills with turn three as well, then it should be fine. So yeah. All right. So that is oops. And his like ley line of life force sideboard as well, which I love. This is a ley line like like everything else, but it makes creature spells can't be counted. And because the combo for oops is based off creatures, just beats all the force wheels and stuff. Pretty cool. <laughs> all right. Uh, third place, we have another Hogak. So actually, Hogak got a copy in all three top eights. I forgot about this one. Pretty cool. Uh, this is from Westvale Preacher, and uh, another like nothing stands out, but you know I'm really fond of this deck, so I'm pretty happy to see it do well. Always. Um, go, going back to like quickly teasing the content coming up on Wizards website in the final <laughs> game. Like I love it when people do that. Elves makes one of the biggest, biggest. Well, I guess I'm gonna call it big balls move I've ever seen in Magic, and you you gotta check that. Like imagine you're in the semifinals of game three of eternal weekend and you well okay i, I can't say it but elves makes yeah. such a big boss move and i'm like oh my fucking god he just didn't and then he did and obviously it, he won because he went to the finals and is this against holy Hogak? shit against Hogak, yeah. okay sweet i look forward to seeing it all right i'm, I'm gonna be like looking out trying to find that bit you're mentioning but yeah. you're immediately gonna notice it because okay. it's it's a move that not a lot of people would have made it's it's such big balls to the wall and wow awesome <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say cool i love these sounds like a kind of like play to win not lose kind yeah. of play love yeah. it love it v very much i'm so excited for these videos to come out maybe i'll take a day off work just to watch them <laughs> yeah. yeah i can do it I'm, I'm feeling a bit ill you know i've got the case of the uh, ew in fourth place we have s063 another really catchy name flows off the tongue another dnt so now we've solidified dnt did absolutely amazing at this event really cool uh, fifth place, we have Twisted Wombat on Rug Delver with uh, two main deck heroes. Same as Daniel. I think it's basically the same list. There might be a couple of sideboard differences I remember seeing, but yeah, Rug Delver with two main deck heroes, two main deck Sylvan Libraries. Sixth place, we have Sea Cream with Mono Green Post. Um, for the standouts I've written, I don't know because I just haven't seen this deck in so long. <laughs> I honestly, I can tell you that it plays Cloud Post and Crop Rotations and big spaghetti monsters, but after that, not really sure what stock for the deck. So um I would never ever have guessed that we'd be seeing Mono Green Post in the top eight. But um awesome. Here we are. Yeah, if somebody told you that our deck with six basic forests made top eight of Eternal Weekend, which deck would you think? That's a, a weird like, elves deck. No idea. Like Yorian Elves. Like a bunch of elves deck, maybe. Yorian Elves. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, I mean I, I know uh, roughly so I don't. I don't know if like four Khan the Great Creators is usually that stock. Maybe I'm. Maybe it is, and I look silly. It's probably the best card in the deck, I would think. I guess, I guess Godos is like what the deck is kind of built around. But is that's also good, yeah. just like a two of. Um, I guess you can find it with like um, Ancient Stirrings. That's a card we haven't seen in a while. Yeah, Candelabras, maps, three Pithy Needles. Yeah, awesome. I love to see it. Um, does it have the? Doesn't have, so it has a Thespian stage, but no Dark Depths as well. Yeah. I guess you can copy your opponent's duck depth, which is like a thing that true. I've done with Thespian Sage stacks in the past. Oh yeah, true. <laughs> Although I guess if you you have map, oh you can crop rotation for it and then like do it end of turn. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is, I guess the the idea is you just copy your own cloud posts, just so you yeah, can find posts. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah, seventh place we have Anarag again on uh, five color snow. He made a couple of changes. He took away his null rods and. Uh, I guess added different cyber cards <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he said he 
cut another card and added a drown of the lock in the main deck but um pretty minimal changes as we said before crazy that you top it to amazing amazing uh records eighth place uh finishing out the topic we have hey nongman on esper vile um again looks pretty stock to me it has the vents that we're talking about before i think this is actually just the same 75 so maybe the, the list went out but maybe jeff put out a list and they uh they copied that. Uh, or I, th- I think people on Reddit have actually been pretty active. Somebody else put out like a deck guide. Ah, maybe, yeah. Maybe yeah. that's the list that wasn't in this. Could be. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Probably is. Um, moving to the top sixteen in ninth place, we have Ali, who we mentioned before about the uh, the attacking Clothis with all the explorations, playing lands. He is he is like probably the best performing lands player I think there is currently. Like he's he's always doing well online. Um, no paper events, so that's that. But yeah, he has three main deck Abrupt Decays, then Cyborg Thought Seizers, which doesn't sound too crazy, but this is not common for lands, I think. At least the Cyborg Thought Seizers. He's... Yeah, the Cyborg Thought Seizers I'll know about, but um, having more main deck removal is kind of like a thing. Um, yeah. I've seen them usually have stuff like Lightning Bolt, actually. True. Uh, but also like a, an Abrupt Decay or two, uh, three. Okay, maybe, maybe that's just like a, a change. Like I don't see Lightning Bolts anymore at all, not even in the sideboard. No. So maybe that's a change. He cited the thought seizers being uh, good for death and taxes, which surprised me. But he'll know better than me. I uh, guess. I he... guess if you get it off like on the first turn, take out like vile is probably like a big deal in the matchup. Yeah. If you can take the vile. Vile or like I guess rest in peace or whatever. Yeah. Okay, sweet lands. Uh, tenth place we have Mechint, who is Thomas Mechint, who he won Eternal Weekend Europe in 2017. So I love that we have loads of like top finishers. Um, from other Eternal Weekends placing here as well. Oh, yeah. So uh, he's playing Snow. Looks to be like um, probably taking one of the other lists that did well on the weekend. Nothing stood out to me as well. Um, yeah, five color. Is it five color? Uh, no. It must be five color. No, it's four wait, color. Wait, he's not playing. He's like, not playing oh red. My God. And this guy is not playing Pyroblast. Something's going on. I, I think it's just the list that won the first event. Yeah. I, I won't check it now, but I think it's just the list that won the first okay, event. Okay. It's uh, Patrick Green's. 11th place, we have another Oops or Spells. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but this one's quite different, actually. So this is... It, it kind of actually looks better on paper to me, but in practice, I think it's just a bit slower and like loses that element. So it's um, using... So Seagate Restoration, Palaka Predation, Agadim's Awakening, which are all the uh, double-faced land cards. And so it's playing Brainstorms, uh, Ponders, and with the added blue sources, playing Force of Wills rather than Patch of Negations. So, so it has Thassa's Oracle and Dread of Turn as usual and stuff. Um, so yeah, it just feels like it's got Thought Seasons as well in the main deck. So it's much heavier on Disruption, but it's just like a turn or two slower than normal Oops. So it feels like it probably makes the, uh, I guess, Snow and potentially Delver matchups a bit better. But losing the the speed must make you worse against the lock pieces kind of matchups. Yeah. So but that, there's not too many lock pieces going on right now. I kind of like, mm. I kind of want to think this this reanimator fiend. By the way, is the name which is like a perfect name for an Uxor spell oh, stack. Oh, true. Good point. <laughs> good point. They might be onto something. I, I I kind of like that. It's it's like a little bit slower. Yeah. I mean, but it's still super capable of just like going off turn one, right? They, oh they yeah, still definitely. Have like eight eight combo enablers and and like a bunch of fast mana. Um. Yeah, yeah, I I don't hate it. Maybe that there's something to be explored about this. Definitely. And oh my god, the sideboard! sideboard. The <laughs> sideboard is insane. It's probably my favorite <laughs> thing from the whole event. I'll let you let you describe this beautiful sideboard. 
Okay, this sideboard is basically you're playing a combo deck, and then your sideboard you have two more combo decks. <laughs> That's how I want to go about it. It's, it's so, just so sweet. You're you're like a slower version of Upsal Spells in the main deck, and then your sideboard you have a Charbelcher deck, but you also have a Doomsday deck because you're playing four Doomsday, you're playing four Goblin Charbelcher, and then I guess a couple of things that you can put into a Doomsday, like you know uh, LED Street Wraith, Ideas Unbound. Edge of Autumn, which, mm-hmm. you know, those are the common doomsday thingies. And then also Nexus of Fate. So, okay. Like, can you take it over? Like, I have no idea what Nexus of Fate does for the stack. Nexus of Fate is a uh, seven mana, five and two blue time walk. And it's an instant. And when it goes to the graveyard from anywhere, you shuffle it back into your library. So, I think it's. I need, to, I need to try and think of what matchups, but I think it's for matchups where you need to mill your deck with like a spy or something and then have one card left in your library to pass the turn. Oh, so it's basically doing the, the progenitors thing. Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, I, it, I it's a progenitors that like... the pitches to force a will, which progenitors does anyway. But you get what I mean. It's it's You're going to cast this more than progenitors, I guess. But yeah, it shuffles there, back in. I'm not sure which matchup you'd want it, though. Is there anything that can actually, like, actual mill you during the Doomsday thing? Like, I guess there's Predict, but that's not really uh, happening. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. But even then, like you still lose the the potential Thassa's Oracle if they hit it. There must because be because it doesn't shuffle your graveyard back in, right? No, so it's, it's just itself. I'm I'm and, blanking, but uh, there must I mean, be a good reason. There's like even if you go for like a past the turn, like, like if they mill your entire library, you're still dead. Even if you have Nexus of Fate. Yeah. Is there like a way for them to continuously produce seven mana? There are seven lands, and like Chrome Mox. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But not not realistically, I think. Dude, I, I'm, I'm telling you, as soon as we end the cast, we're going to be like, oh, this is what it's oh, supposed to be. But seriously, um, yeah. I, don't, I don't see anything. It's probably just like, yeah. I'll go and do my research. Oh, oh, okay, so you don't die against Grindstone, I guess. But then you, you once again anyway. use it. But, but the thing is, like, if you lose all your cards, that's fine. That's like what the deck yeah. is supposed to do, right? Then yeah. you can actually dread return. Yeah, they need so to actually, make you draw, so yeah. Okay, maybe it's really just like a random one-off against something like Painter because like Painter can't... Okay, this is actually really cool. Mm. So if Painter grindstones you on, on say, your upkeep, then you, you draw your Nexus of Fate and you kill them. So you that, know, that's what I'm seeing here. I don't think it's that, but I'm going to I'm gonna give up. We should pass. But um, yeah, tell us when this comes out in the comments section anywhere what it's for because it must be for something. I'm just uh, blanking. Okay, moving on. 12th place, we have Echo, Urza Echo, Echo of Ian's thing. Um, first copy of this we've seen in any of the top eights. Great to see it do well again. It's always this, like, kind of, it, I think it struggles with Delvis. It's not amazingly positioned currently, but it's pretty good against Snow, and it's like a combo killer. It's in the in the right metagames, it can be very good when Delvis is not at a height, especially when Chalice is good against Delvis as well, which is not currently great. So, yeah, it looks pretty stock to your usual thing. Um, there was a cyborg submerge which kind of caught my eye. Nod to Delver, but other than that, it's your usual kind of stuff. Don't you actually need to control an island for submerge to work? Yes. How many islands are in the deck? There's seven. One. Oh no, no, seven. Okay, sorry, yeah. I, I'm I'm bad. I, I read it the American <laughs> way. Or the, oh yeah, the, yeah, rather the European way. You know how sevens are different between like Europe and and America. Weirdos. One of them are. Thirteenth <laughs> <laughs> place, we have TPC two thousand on the epic storm cool so another storm deck again we didn't we haven't seen that many kind of at least storm like critical mass based combo decks in the top eight so 
Nice to see another one. Looks pretty stock to me, probably from Bryant and Co. Uh, I would assume. Yeah, it, I, I would just guess that that's yeah. what Bryant is playing right yeah. now. Yeah, nothing catches my eye that's different from there. In 14th place, we have another Death and Taxes, but this time with a black splash for Oars of Pontiff. Not a, not Plague Engineer, as I would have guessed, but Oars of Pontiff. So um, anyone that doesn't remember what Oars of Pontiff does, because it hasn't been played in a long time, it's cost three mana total. I certainly remember. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Oh, <laughs> like it against elves. It's a one colorless, one white, one black for a 1-1 human cleric. Uh, when it enters the battlefield or a creature it haunts dies, choose one. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. Creatures you don't control get minus one, minus one until end of turn. And it also has haunt. So when this creature dies, exile it, haunt another target creature. And then haunt works, like, as, as I read on the ability, when that creature it haunts dies, you do the effect again. So it's kind of like a... It's basically like a, a one-sided uh, minus, minus one, minus one to your opponent's creatures generally, I'd guess. Yeah, it's kind of like a wrath that you can recruit for, I guess. Yeah. I am like I am surprised it's not played play, playing Plague Engineer instead, but I don't know. I saw the player um tweet about it, uh, Tashizen okay. is their name, at least on Magic Online, and mm-hmm. they said they basically took the well, <laughs> stock X, uh, XJ Cloud list and they just added the the Ossoff Pontiffs to it. Ah, okay. And I think they mentioned that they were like amazing throughout the tournament. Cool. That sounds good. I mean I like the idea. I, I think DMT can splash. Um they have how many black sources do they have though? One, two, oh, three, not too many. four, five, six, seven, eight. It's kind of low. You have vials as well, I guess. Kind of low, but I guess if it's high impact enough and it's worth a splash in your opinion, then you can like skimp a bit because you do need basics as well in these decks. Enough of them. But yeah, I hope it did well. Otherwise, they've got a second one on the sideboard. Is there any other black cards on the sideboard? Don't say surgical extraction. That doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. No, it looks not. But so, yeah. I mean, they, they placed well, so they must have done something. Uh, 15th place, we have another Death and Taxes. God, there's so many. It, yeah. it, it has really returned. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Cool, another d And finishing out, we have Reader Rabbit, so Reed Duke. This was a pleasure to watch him. He was streaming, he played two of the events, and he was streaming all of it, playing Elves, as he usually does. Uh, his other deck is Pox, so he didn't choose to bring Pox to turn the weekend, sadly. <laughs> but... um. Yeah, I'll let you take away. What do you think of this Elves deck? Uh, this is super straightforward. This is yeah. probably as stock as it gets these days. Um, mm-hmm. He like he made a minor switch compared to like what most people play when they play like the stock list. He's, he plays like one virtual rangers. Um, usually, like I like playing two because it makes it easier to cast your sideboard cards. But uh, that that's just like one thing. And he also doesn't play like the one of silver bullet that we sometimes have. That sometimes you know like a, like a scavenging ooze or a collector oof. He just plays the third once upon a time instead, which makes sense, right? It's not a big difference. Um, I was actually considering the third once upon a time as well because I, I never really liked four. I like two a lot, mm-hmm. so the natural progression would be so maybe I'm gonna try out the third. And in the side part, I like that he's oh, maybe maybe I actually don't like that, but <laughs> he has like no respect for Dreaded Arcanist. He's like, okay, I'm just gonna run two abrupt decays. Oh, two abrupt decays. Okay, two abrupt decays, two assassins trophies. Yeah, I could have sworn like I I'm almost 100% positive I saw him play one abrupt decay and two assassins trophies in the first event. So maybe that's a change he made. And 
Yeah, I'm pretty. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. But honestly, I could be wrong. But mm-hmm. Reed has always been famous for playing Assassin's Trophy in Fs, and it makes a lot of sense, right? If you if you want to beat specific kinds of matchups, especially against lands, if you're able to take out Tabernacle just per turn, usually it's like all it takes. You can also disrupt their combo. You can sometimes like take out um, like four mana planeswalkers. Like I guess the only thing is like Chase, where you don't. Have, it, it's just like the flexibility. That's just such yeah. a big deal. Yeah. And against the Diver decks, they don't even get the land, so. I like the card when when I was still thinking I would have the time to play an Eternal Weekend. I was like tinkering around. I had like a like a one-off Assassin's Trophy in the sideboard as well after seeing Reed play it again because I was like, oh, okay, you know what? Kind of always felt that card could do a lot of for us and I've played it in the past and yeah, I, it's almost like the 15th slot in Fs right now, at least for me, like basically 14 cards are set in stone. And then the 15th slot is what I play around. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I have carpet, sometimes I have choke. And this time I was like, ah, oh, maybe like the Assassin's Trophy. Yeah. So, yeah. He, I can he see actually it. had a couple of really interesting games. So, if you want to go back, if you like Fs, um, like I hear some of you do, definitely check out his stream. And he, he had a couple of really interesting decisions that we talked about in chat. Um, so, definitely check that out. Yeah. I was there for like a bunch of the games. And it's just such a pleasure watching someone who's so good at playing obviously and like just calm about it and explains the things and there was one game where we they had like a very close decision and um the game finished and he lost because of the decision i think but afterwards he then like closed the game down and then went right chat let's go over it again and discussed every single permutation every single possibility everyone was saying their opinions and stuff and he was explaining why he did this and he was even going into details about like feelings and how long people leave stuff to respond and stuff yeah it's really really he just thinks about everything so it's a real pleasure to watch oh that was the decision where where people wanted him to like basically bait with the glimpse and then natural order yeah but the glimpse resolved so chat was like you know you you're definitely clear to go in the natural order and like if you ask me no definitely no i think i was quite vocal about it in chat as well yeah and but can't really blame people too much like if you don't have that much experience with elves or you're just like oh i want to win it's, it's always easier like if you're in chat and you're like yeah of let's course. just go for the, the big blowout play and let's let... yeah but that yeah. that's where my head went that play i i when we drew the glimpse i was thinking yeah play glimpse bait it and then natural order but if it if he has the force then you you, you just lose on the spot basically so yeah very very cool so yeah, that's that's the what's thirty-two plus sixteen, <laughs> the forty-eight <laughs> decks yeah. that did well in the brand. We actually have data on a lot more. Like we managed to get everything together from the community. Um, people have been very helpful providing the deck lists. So we actually have the complete eight and two meta game. So you know there were a lot of people who went eight and two, but they don't even show up in the top sixteen just because the event was this big. And we feel like we really want to paint the bigger picture by looking at all the data that we have available here. So, wouldn't you know it, um, the two most successful decks in the event, what do you think they are? Well, I'm cheating because I have it right in front of me, but without, without this information, I would have guessed Rugdelver and Snow. Um, they performed better than I expected as well, honestly. Like, Rugdelver was obviously the boogeyman, boogeyman going into it, and everyone expected to play against that a lot, and it performed as good as I expected, and most people expected, I think. I was worried it'd be like a bit more dominant, but... I don't know. People have people are ready for it. It's adjusted a bit. It's, in my opinion, a bit boring. It's dragging on. Like it's just there always. But yeah, it, so um, Rugdelver and Forecast Snow were tied for the best performing decks out of all the eight tour better finishes at fifteen copies each. So seventeen percent each. Um, it would almost be like 
too dominant if it weren't for the third place deck, which um, no surprises here. Seeing Death and Taxes in third place with 13 copies, uh, f- yeah. almost like 15% of the metagame, that was like the big, big surprise of the weekend. And honestly, like I mentioned earlier, it really makes me happy because I've just really got a thing for the deck. Yeah. Uh, not only because I love playing against it, but also because I love <laughs> playing with it. It's just like You have a secret agenda. And- we know it. Don't worry. You could admit it. We all know what you're up to. <laughs> no, but seriously, like without Death and Taxes, I would actually be like, meh about these results. But seeing that this like is an an option is available it's it's outstanding to me because especially like if you look at the gap to the other performing decks like fourth place is hogak at six copies that's like less than half the copies of death and taxes mm-hmm. i remember when we were like gathering the data like anorak was at some point messaging me like wtf wtf another death and taxes another death and taxes <laughs> <laughs> it's here man skyclave aspirin has done such wonders yeah, let's talk about that. I think yeah. that, that that's just like one of the biggest things that has happened to Death and Texas in a while. Like, you know, every, every couple of months, Wizards prints like a two mana thing that has a comes into play effect that yeah. everybody's like, oh my God, this is going to be insane with Flicker Wisp. And then it isn't. But <laughs> Skycliff Operation, is. it's just so, so good. Like, yeah. not only is it, is it like at a decent mana cost of three, the effect is insane. It's not like the, we, we talked about this many times, it's not like the Oblivion Ring effect, it's actually. I don't even know how to. We don't have the Skycliff apparition effect. It, it takes yeah, the yeah. thing away for good. It, it elks. It elks. <laughs> I guess. It it elks. Okay. If they if they kill it, they should get a three three. <laughs> <laughs> the the Elkar has become the key, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. If you want to put it like that. But yeah, oh, the, I'm, the, I'm so happy for the that. The card lives up to the hype. It's just, it's it's everything the deck wanted because the deck was on the downcline because Oko was so good against the deck. You know, it's just elking everything. I mean, the deck is based around powerful artifacts and creatures and oko is exactly good against those so um and and because they relied on combat damage to kill oko they like they'd just be fighting on this axis of taking oko off the board where they're not attacking the attacking the life total of the player and then if they're not attacking the life total of the player the player can just play lands develop and then have all this time after that to not feel pressured to be able to like cast spells in reasonable time and stuff so now you just have this card that exiles the Oko, and then you can attack them for six or eight or whatever. And then they're, they're dying in a couple of turns. So it's back to the days of pressure and life totals. And I think another thing which the card has done wonders for, which is underappreciated apart from the Dith and Taxi players themselves, is freed up so many sideboard slots, which makes them way better against combo. So because you have these three apparitions in the main deck, you don't need to play your Council's Judgments anymore. You don't need to play like a random Oblivion Ring or whatever. So you can now play... War Priest of Thune. Yeah, War Priest of Thune, exactly. So now you can play Mindbreak Traps or whatever in the sideboard instead. So you just have these like two or three extra sideboard slots to dedicate towards combo. So if you go over the deck list from Eternal Weekend, I believe you'll just see more combo hate in the sideboards, which is because of like, having these in the main deck. So it's just done so many That's good actually a really good observation. I've never thought about it like that, but... yeah. I always like it when that happens, like when you're able to make reasonable main deck choices that are going to be good in basically all your matchups. And that also answers a couple of things that you would otherwise be cold to because for all the flexibility that Death and Texas used to have, they couldn't really remove stuff permanently. Like they had Flicker Wisp and, and I guess you could pull some tricks with like Containment Priest after sideboarding. But there's a reason we saw so many, saw so many you know, Counsel's Judgments in the sideboard yeah. because that's what the deck lacked. And I mean, Counsel's Judgment is effect. such a slow, clunky card as well. They don't want to play it, but it's just it's the best option, I guess. It's kind of similar with like what uh, Alessandro Shepard has done for Elves. Um, 
we got so much more game against like we, we already had a lot of game against blue heavy decks but now we don't really think about them even anymore like in the sideboard like our sideboard is like super straightforward these days mm-hmm. and in the past we we like toyed her out with choke or, or even like sometimes people try to make their stuff uncounterable or we had like veil of summers and stuff and now we have just like four main deck alusaro shepherds which are also going to be good in like most of the matchups and for all the hate i give alusaro shepherd because it's still <laughs> a stupid card it is a similar effect or rather a similar principle in deck building that's being applied here yeah so you just need less blue hay i guess yeah. Should we um do a rundown of the decks that are listed here though? So everyone yeah, can let's have just a quick go quickly quickly through it. I think yeah. it becomes less significant or relevant the further mm-hmm. you go down, but I guess it's it's gonna be interesting either yeah. way. Yeah, so as we said we have Rug Delver and Four Color Snow Tide for the top place, so fifteen copies each, so seventeen percent. Uh third place of DNT, thirteen copies at fifteen percent. And then it drops pretty significantly. So as Julian said, if it wasn't for DNT We'll be iffy and arring about this, and um, maybe people still will because it is quite a lot of snow and delvers. But then we have Hogak, six copies at 6.82%. Elves, we have five copies, so 6%. Esreval, then at three copies. Doomsday at three, Ants at three. Oops or Spells at two. Green Post at two. Uh, Lands at two. Turbo Depth at two. Miracles at two. And then the one ofs are Urza Stompy, Tez, Sneak and Show, Moon Stompy, Greenstone's and the Snow, Black Red Reanimator. Pokepile, Dragon Stompy, Strifer Pile, Eldrazi Post, Garuda Man. I didn't expect to see that. Brown Stompy. I'm going to have to ask you what that is. <laughs> Eldrazi, Painter, and Blue Red Delver. What is Brown Stompy? Um, that one was categorized by Anorak. I'm actually not okay. sure myself. I think it's kind of like an updated version like of a Stacks build. Okay. It's, oh, wow. Uh, but from, from, I actually I remember what he told me, what the deck played, and it actually sounded a lot more like... Steel um, Stompy, maybe. What's the deck that next plays? The Steel deck, Stompy. Um, Stone Steel Stompy, yeah. Yeah, okay. Actually, it sounded a lot like Steel Stompy. I think it actually was Steel Stompy. I would guess it's that. And Garuda Man. So I guess um, like Salvage's Bomber Man with Garuda. It's pretty cool. Exactly. Nice. Very cool. I, would, I I wouldn't have guessed I would see these eight and two. That's sick. So um, yeah. The, just going back, that's part of like the eternal weekend experience, right? We get to see the top eight, but there are so many more people who go like eight and two and just don't get to the top eight on breakers. And yeah, totally. We're trying to somewhat highlight that in in the videos that we're gonna make. Like we're gonna have some people who didn't make the top eight show up in the video and. I just want to once again say thank you to everybody who's been helping us with this because. This is like not only Anorak and me providing this kind of coverage. Uh, this is like really 90% community input, especially with the help, with the hands. It's it's so much help that we, even like from you as well, you were organizing people that we could capture hands from. And, and yeah. like you gave me your God account so I could like take good screenshots of all the decks without, you know, that weird yellow border that says, hey, you don't have the card, which makes it look cheap on coverage. Oh, yeah. And like that, we had so, so much help. And we it, it sounds like, cheesy but we literally couldn't have done this like without the community help that we've received like not even close totally were there any other takeaways other than the event being like a huge success i'm i'm just so over the moon with how well it went the, the numbers the turnout the, the decks the, like diversity like, it's just yeah so cool. there's there's two things um the first thing is wizards now has a like a high level legacy data set of like five to six thousand matches i believe could be wrong but yeah we play yeah yeah, it should be around that and you can draw a lot of conclusions from that so if they were ever gonna make changes like i literally have no idea whether they are or they're gonna not make changes 
they have probably the best data set in the history of high-level legacy because at GPs you don't record the data, but on Magic Online you do. And that's going to be interesting whether they're going to have to say something about that. That's, a, that's a very good point. That There was a lot of Oko in the, in the eight tour better finishes. I mean, I guess I don't want to get into the band discussion too much because personally, we've, we've had Oko dis band discussions on yeah. the internet <laughs> everywhere and I'm quite tired of it. But there was a lot in the in the top finishes so yeah it's a very good point i didn't think about the huge data set so maybe uh they they look at that the second thing is um something for a different cast as we are approaching the two hour mark um that i just want to mention the the god account thing has been incredibly popular I've, I've seen so many people who've literally never played magic online get in magic online and play in these and i wonder that's something like I think it already did well for, I think, Chen Con and a couple of events that Wizards had, and now they're doing this for Eternal Weekend. I wonder how more often we're going to see this in the future for big events. And, of course, the natural tension there is is because of the secondary market, because, you know, the, the, there's, for example, Card Harder, which probably wouldn't be super happy about seeing that kind of model implemented because it kind of cannibalizes their rental service. So... If Wizards actually wants to do something like that, maybe I don't see something like a subscription service actually becoming a thing because that would totally break the magic on like the magic economy wouldn't even exist anymore at this point. But if, the more often they do this, the less profitable those those well, rental services become. So, like I said, I don't want to get too deep into this. Maybe that's something for future episodes to discuss. But if you have thoughts on this, let us know in the Discord, by the way, because I think that's one of the most interesting developments for future Magic Online scenes or yeah. whatever. I feel like the the large numbers have been a combination of both people. Like, just there's, there's no barrier to entry now. It's just you pay the infantry and you have all the cards. Legacy hasn't had this before. So it's... um. A huge combination of legacy being available to people like very easily and no paper events so the people that would usually be playing paper eternal weekends wanting to play online for the first time and the ease of being able to do that and also just the allure of playing of having a god account like i think a lot of people probably did sign up because it's so enticing and then when they have it they think oh i might as well play the main event and then it doesn't matter if they do well or not they've got their values worth so it's obviously a very successful model and personally i loved it i have a uh, a subscription account as well so i have access to all the cards whenever i want but i still use the god account and i played more leagues than i would definitely usually because it's so easy when you just have it you can just do whatever you want so i would love to see it implemented more but you're right like the secondary market does need to be paid attention to and they need to be careful with it because there's a lot of money in that market as well so they need to be careful with how often they roll this out if it works like I would love to see like Grand Prix level events, two day level events be operated on Magic Online. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine like God accounts and then I just like <laughs> I I, think, I bet they could get two or three thousand people playing on two day events easily. It'd be insane. It's also an insane amount of money they're making right now. So actually, oh, let yeah. me run the numbers. So we got like one thousand six hundred. So yeah, just this Legacy Turner weekend, they took in about forty thousand dollars in signups. And I mean, Wizards is a bit company, and like in the grand scheme of things, forty thousand dollars might not be a lot, but forty thousand dollars on a single weekend, like what the yeah. fuck? And they they didn't have to put anything in this apart from the paintings, really, like some advertising as well, of course. But realistically, like they're not giving away cash. It's it sounds. I mean, if anything, that's a testament to how much people want to play in these kinds of events. Yeah, totally. Um, I've. I know in the past when there were like legacy GPs, there were sometimes, like not often, I'm not that good or important, but sometimes like pros, like 
grinders and stuff, they would come to me and they'd be like, hey, Julian, what should I play in Legacy, blah, 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 and they don't know anything about Legacy, but then they, like, work on it for, like, a week or two and they play it. And after the GP, I remember one specific time, like, the, the guy came to me and he was like, like, MPL something, I don't know. And he was like, oh, I wish Wizards would allow me to play Legacy more often because this is the best Magic I've ever played. And that yeah. really goes to show how, how awesome the format is. So, fingers crossed, we get some more big Legacy events online. I'd love to see that. Awesome. Should, should we get into user questions here? Yeah, we'll into, into subscriber questions. Definitely. Listener questions, that's the word, man. There we go. We I'm got so it. torn between subscribers, users, listeners, guests. Like I like listener. Patience when I still used to do a volunteers thing. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know, when people like when people try to book holidays in Kenya, I sometimes call them patience because just the other day I had worked and like my head was full of patience. You're running out. <laughs> well, you're like, running out of patience. We're gonna send five patients. <laughs> it's when you're running out of patience as well. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, our very first question comes from Franco Boli from the Discord. With Eternal Weekend data now in the books and Rock Diver and four, or I guess there also mean five colors Noko showing up in force, do you think Watsi will, will or should make a move on Oko? Uh, and that stuff afterwards, that's what you put in, right? Editorial? Or is no, that from him? That's from him as well. Oh, okay. Editorial. I think that the turnout for Eternal Weekend shows that the format is not unpleasant. Oh, totally agree. <laughs> not unpleasant yep. yet. Uh, like Pioneer was for a while. However, would people continue to play this format? There's always going to be a best deck. Does the repeatable playstyles of Rock and Far Color Snow make for fun magic? I think we kind of touched on that already. Uh, I like Rock Diver being good a lot, lot, lot more than Snow being good. Uh, like you mentioned, especially for the repeatable playstyle. I liked Rock Diver a lot better when it was like the tempo aggressive strategy. And I just like have this thing that bars me out to no end about four color and five color snow decks. But yeah, that that's part of me. Um, yeah. I, I guess that the core question about here is, are those people who enjoyed Legacy, are they going to last? Um, I think so. I mean, there's just, there's so much variation. I'm I'm kind of the opposite to you. I, I don't mind snow. I find it so much easier to attack and beat. Like whether it's fun or not is, is then the subjective thing. But I'm personally I'm very tired of Delver. This is just a me subjective thing. I, I don't think it's really like a too bad for the format, but I don't find the play patterns very fun because I find it like especially with access to so many forces now with force of negation, I just find it kind of stifles a lot of the fun brewy comboy side of stuff. So this is just a personal thing. I, I'm just kind of tired of it. And Oko like takes away a lot of the plays to it, so you can have some creatures or artifacts like Ensnaring Bridge, for example, that are generally good against Delver and Chalice. I mean, not that Chalice is very fun. I don't really want it to be at the forefront of a format, but Oko does kind of shore up a lot of the weaknesses that were the usual ways to attack Delver. So with with the uh, Arcanist also like bringing up the card advantage engine, it's just kind of like. It's it's not like too OP to me, but it's just a slog in the same way that you find snow to be a slog. I think. Yeah, um, I think we we can actually like add answer all the question at once um, because they're basically all coming down to the same thing. True. Walked by the way, walked is whom you got your entomb status from, right? I should give a shout out to him. Yeah, so he's um, written a primer as well. He is at walked air on Twitter, and um, he's written a, a primer for Entombsday. And he's very active. He streams as well, twitch.tv slash walked airplane. And he's in the discords as well. Really happy to chat and help out. Great guy. Um, so yeah, he he basically made this list that I played for Eternal Weekend. So he asks, what card needs to be banned and why is it Dreadful Darkness? So yeah, <laughs> I don't feel as strongly about it, but 
in the same way that I just described, it's every time they play a turn two Arcanist, I kind of just like sigh and it's just like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. Uh, Franco also has another question. That, that's basically why I want to answer all of them ah, okay. the same. It is like because for me the answer is, is basically the same for all of them. Mm-hmm. And Franco is also asking: Is Alosaurus Shepard what green creature strategies need to compete against Blue Soup, or is it an aggressively designed magic card designed to sell packs? But I think it can be both. Um, it's not an either or thing. I don't know about the selling packs thing, but it's incredibly aggressively. De- it's probably like the most aggressively designed I've ever printed. Yeah. And. At the same time, also is what's needed to compete against these decks. It it, it really changed. For example, the, like the snow m- match is completely strategically revolutionized by the presence of Shepard because now we can actually go for something like natural order and try to couple changes into play. When before that was a little bit more shaky, but now that we have like four thought seizes and four Shepards, which makes it so much harder for them to counter natural order, and also that deck naturally not having an answer to to progenitors, that's just like such a big deal. Overall, I think there's always this general idea of, okay, does something need to be banned? And if so, what? And to me, like the biggest thing is, I know where people are coming from and I totally agree. I just feel like if if we are going to ban a single thing, okay, okay, here's my my actual like natural thought unfiltered. I think you either ban nothing or you ban something like six or seven cards. And those six or seven cards to me would be including Oko, Astrolabe, probably Whale. Like I've not been exposed to either end of Whale too much, but from what I see and what I read and from what people I trust tell me, it's really gonna be, it's, it's just like too busted, even though it's not that big of a presence right now. Shepard, Plague Engineer. And then you know how I feel about Grizzlebrand, but I think that's <laughs> that's another level deeper that, that would probably like go beyond what we're discussing on the podcast here. I think the format can be okay with either Oko or Uro in the meta game as long as Astrolabe is gonna be gone. Um, overall, I think Uro is a much more interesting card compared to Oko just because Oko uh, is, I don't know, I think it's a little bit stupid. At least you can attack Uro with graveyard stuff and it does get swords and it's a bit easier to pyroblast like when they cast the second time and stuff. Um, I think I agree. I think Uro is kind of like a better card, actually, in these decks, but Oko creates uh, less fun play patterns and yeah. is a bit harder to answer as well. So, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. For my answer for this is, like, I'm kind of okay with it, but I, I basically completely agree with you. I'm going to back you up. Like, you could do... I'm not sure if you make any, like, one or two little changes, but I think that the format could be better off with, like, a a big hammer hit and a bunch of cards, but... I don't think it's very realistic for a while, at least. Yeah. Also, I I believe um, for as much as I think it would be better if Oko was gone, if you make any kind of change, but you don't address Dreadnought Arcanist, Rock Diver is going to be so far beyond anything. Maybe not like as like flash levels when, when those kinds of decks used to dominate, but it would be incredibly strong compared yeah. to like what the rest of the format has. has I'd prefer to bring Arcanist to, the to go than Oko or Uru, personally. It's, it feels more oppressive to me, but... Yeah, yeah Arcanist is... Uh, I, I keep saying Arcanist yeah. is the single most format-defining card, apart from like, you know, the, those big structural things that we have going on. Like, yeah. like we have like yeah. Wasteland Days, uh, Force of Will, uh, like that, those kind of things, or Fetchlands. I guess actually Fetchlands is probably the single most format-defining thing because that actually means that what we... Could, that we get to do a lot of things we otherwise couldn't. But mm-hmm. beyond that, you know, beyond the, the brainstorms and stuff that we're never going to touch, 
I think Dread Hot Argonist is the single most influential cards to anyone making any decision in any deck list. And that necessarily doesn't have to be a bad thing. I just feel the snowball effect is so over-exaggerated uh, that I wouldn't mind that card being gone. I remember we previewed it and I felt like, no, sorry, this is this is actually overpowered. And I remember, I don't know, people were, were like, do you really think? Like, yes, this is... <laughs> to me, I guess the best way to put it is it's Snapcaster Mage every turn because you know how one of the big things about Snapcaster Mage was not only the card advantage but also the selection that you get. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's why people sometimes call it like a late-game demonic tutor. But and Dreaded Arcanist is somewhat similar in that. You don't even need to cast the cantrip as well. You don't need to spend mana on it. It's... That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Uh, we're going to round out with one more question or two from Tom. Um, any predictions for Vintage Eternal Weekend coming up? And is Omnath a playable card in Legacy? So to nip the Omnath one in the bud quickly, not really, but in, it did place in one of the top eights from McGuinn's source in the Greens and Zenith version of Snow. So yes, it's playable in the sense that I think it's quite good in that deck and it's probably good in like some other Greens and Zenith decks. But as like a card you'd play multiples of in a deck, probably not, <laughs> I think. And uh, any predictions for the Vintage Eternal Weekend coming up? I'm not like a, a vintage specialist by any means. Um, I've started playing some leagues with bug, like mid range stuff, which is like in my wheelhouse of cards of decks that I like to play. Um, for forewand, fortued, forewand a couple of leagues now. It feels good to me. Um, maybe a little bit too fair. I expect PO will be played a lot. I expect there'll be a lot of bizarre decks, and I think bizarre decks will probably do quite well as well. Um, oh, are they? Yeah. There's a few with like hollow ones. They have so many pitch spells, so they're all just playing like force of vigors and eight force of wills and mm. stuff. And then there's doomsday, which is obviously very very good as well. Um, yeah, that's as far as predictions go. I I, I really don't know. So I'm gonna just be okay. jumpy in. What about you? I've been reading up on like vintage and talking to a couple of people uh, a little bit lately because we are also going to do the coverage and stuff and from what i've gathered uh, shop stacks are almost at an all-time low which is well depends either quite surprising or not surprising because you know wizards has banned something out of shops for like it, it's, it's like the the annual wizards holiday tradition we banned something out of shops <laughs> what's it gonna be this year <laughs> but um, the nail in that is force of vigor has hurt that deck so much oh i bet that's I the bet. thing yeah yeah so from what i've gathered allegedly like doomsday is the best deck but not too many people are like feeling competent enough to play it but then apparently there's also um underworld breach which is supposed to have like a big a big leg up in in the combo mirror because it also got access to like pyroblast and stuff and then there's po which is like always great you know that bryant has i don't know he's won like 17 challenges in like two hours or something it's absolutely crazy Mm -hmm. but he's done with the deck in vintage and that's going to be a big contender. And I thought that people were saying like Bazaar is not that good anymore. But I mean, it's we are always talking about like minor percentage changes here. Like when I said that Bazaar, uh, that that Chops is not as good anymore. I think the the number that was provided to me was like forty seven percent win percentage over like all the challenges in the last two months. Okay. That's still like numbers that can easily win a tournament. Yeah, totally. Right? That's that's pretty respectable. I know Cyrus is planning to play Shops. I think. So the deck. Yeah, but also there. I think from what he told me, or from what I read from him, he's gonna plan to play it because he doesn't really have a lot of time to prepare for anything. Fair else. enough. Yeah. No fair. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna I think I'm gonna play the Saturday one. I'm just gonna dive in. Probably gonna stick with Bug. We'll see. I might try. Um, uh, Anurag and Rugved have made a 
an oath uh, underworld breach deck which looks really really strong so they've uh, top aged a few challenges with it so i'm going to try that as well if that doesn't fit me if i can't play it very well then i'll just i'll be casting leovold so hope they get there <laughs> sounds good yeah i actually i have no idea what i'm gonna play i'm probably gonna like i for me shops is not even out of the picture even though it's uh maybe i'm uh, okay mm-hmm. i was gonna play buck but yeah. then again like you mentioned it's almost a little bit too much on the fair side so i'm not too sure whether i, I want to be doing that i've had a lot of success with po like two years ago or something so maybe i'm going to revisit that if, if that's a possibility but at the same time people are probably going to bring a ton of hate for po anyway yeah that's, that's what puts me off like if i was better at vintage i would probably be trying to play po but it's going to be on everyone's radar and everyone's going to be hating it out i prefer to be relying on I know fair decks a bit better, so I can hopefully uh, just cast Leovold with skill. <laughs> and then there's Oath, like straight up Oath, right? That's always like the go-to when you don't know what to play at all. You can always play Oath. As far as I can tell, there's just one player that does well with Oath these days, a Japanese player. Let's I... make it two. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> true. Anyway, oh, you guys have no idea how late it is in Germany right now. <laughs> Sorry, is it 2 a.m. there? Shall we wrap it up here? Yeah. Oh, is there, are there more questions? No, I think that's it. Awesome. Yep. So we're going to wrap this up. I'm going to jump into bed for like a couple hours. Then we're going to finish up the um, Eternal Weekend coverage, which, like I said, is probably going to come out early next week, depending on when Wizards decides to put it on the website. I want to give shoutouts again to all of our Patreons who are supporting us. We got on our eternal witness tier, we got Valerio, we got Tommy Hinks, Trent Browers, Testicular, which just joined us, Moritz Vogel. And on our top Grizzlebrand tier, we got Victor Behanst, Baju Butt, Scott Monroe, Kulish Aliste, Jeremy Gates, Martin Nielsen, Eugene Freeman, and Henry Kokuts. So thank you so, so much for your support of Everyday Eternal. You're making all of this possible. And if you want to join the community, like the ever-growing Discord of us, you can do that on patreon.com slash everydayeternal and become one of our Patreons, which gives you access to the Discord. But there's also like other ways, you know, you can support us, especially iTunes, if you go on iTunes or any kind of other review platform where you can talk about your favorite podcasts and maybe turn everyday channel as well if you're <laughs> going to leave a review there that's going to help us out that's also going to help future people discover the podcast if they put in like good legacy podcasts they want everyday channel if you want everyday channel to be there that makes a difference and yeah i think that's going to be it from us tonight uh we are probably going to podcast again should, should we like do a vintage podcast maybe we're gonna, yeah honestly like let, let's just put that out there if you guys want us to to invite like somebody who actually knows what they're doing in vintage <laughs> yeah so we, we can have like a vintage theme podcast in the future to steer us fools along in the right direction i'd love it's to like, do that. oh my god julian do you really want to play shops what are god. you doing with your life man <laughs> exactly do you want to get force of vigor to death god okay yeah let's do it yeah. i'm totally down for a vintage cast Awesome. So if you want to hear that, let us know on on social media, let us know on the Discord. And with that, we're going to call it a day. See you again next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye.